The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Red Planet. After an extended holiday break, we're back and ready to take on 2024. Once we catch up on some things that happened while we were away. Election denialism in Congo resulted in right-wing riots. UK's Labour Party showed its ass on asylum seekers. And the long nightmare in Palestine continues. But first, there's something we forgot to do before we start the show. What's our cold open? Uh, uh... Welcome to Red Planet 2024. (laughs) Oh God, we are live. I was chatting rubbish. Um, Mm. It's my fault. Welcome everyone. Might as well make this the cold open. Hi everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Got to start the the new year. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm I'm sure our producer will clean this up. Yeah, (laughs) that'll happen. Uh, Let's get let's get right into it. Welcome. Mm -hmm. It's the first show of the new year. I hope everyone is doing great. Uh, Tim, why don't you tell us about the most base thing that you did over the holidays? Um, well, uh, I think like a lot of people here, uh, I've been keeping up with the various uh, Palestine solidarity um, movements and marches and rallies and protests and stuff like that. It's like over here they're happening on at least a weekly basis at the moment um there has been even more you know there's been um some weekends there's been big ones on saturdays and sunday it's like yeah it's wild um and uh yeah it's like thousands and thousands and thousands of new zealanders still turning out every time um it's wild especially like so this week obviously with the um with the ICJ court case, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later, um, the turnout was huge, you know, and um, and both. Um, so there was like the regular Saturday rally, and then there's also like um, a kind of kite flying thing on Sunday, where a lot of people had like Palestine flags. Um, so it was a big one. Um, uh, yeah, and so. There's all that stuff going on. The wild thing is, um, I so our our government um, this week kind of um, did a very pick me move and said with the um, the strikes on the Houthi um, on the the Yemeni Houthis who stroke uh, struck at the um, heavy striking at the boats, the US and UK attack at them which was like obviously direct retaliation on behalf of Israel. Um, our government was like, we support these, like we supported these strikes. Um, they didn't, they weren't clear exactly how they supported them. Like, you know, probably just like some kind of informational kind of thing or something like that. They said that they didn't have troops involved or anything like that, but um, they were like, we, you know, we were part of this or whatever. And they were named as well by, um, uh, Israel and the ICJ as being part of, you know, part of those actions, which um, was, a, was like a really like kind of pitiful kind of pick me 
kind of move from our government because we probably weren't very involved at all. But um, Judith Collins and Winston Peters um, from the National New Zealand First Parties that are part of the coalition government were like very like it's just like seems so desperate to be like yes we're up there with the the US we you know we're part of this we were and um which has kind of come from like it has been met with almost universal kind of um condemnation because the overwhelming majority of New Zealanders are against um you know against what Israel is doing they've um you know like these marches that we've been having there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people and um so there's a a New Zealand Palestinian dude uh who uh, has been speaking a lot of the marches and stuff like that. And he put a good point out on Twitter, like last night, I think it was that um, it, at these marches, there's thousands and thousands of people, but there's only ever like two or three counter protesters with like Israeli flags. And they're like, it's the same people every time. There's only a couple of them, you know? And um, when poll, there was like a big poll that, um, uh, I think it was, I can't remember, maybe the New Zealand Herald did that found like through like thousands and thousands and thousands of people, the overwhelming majority, like almost completely, there's an almost complete consensus that New Zealand just should not be um, backing Israel, should not be involved, anything like that. So, um, yeah, so it's overwhelmingly, uh, you know, seen as a bad move by our government to be getting involved in this and to, well, to be getting involved with Israel as opposed to supporting Palestine, you know? Um, or and... just shutting up, just yeah, being yeah, quiet. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, I obviously, like... I'm on team Palestine, but like, it's, yeah. like you said, it's very pick me to be like, um, I will have something you say. I would like to say this. And it's just yeah, yeah, kissing yeah. ass and deep throating boots. It's, yeah, yeah. It's so wild. Um, and, it's the only people that are happy with it are the like the probably the most kind of rabid far right supporters of um <laughs> you know like of a lot of the coalition um partners you know like our current government or whatever like if there's just you know your average kind of center right people are still like you know they're opposed to this it's like you know so i think the anti-war movement in new zealand is picking up steam again um because it has been considered like the kind of anti-war movement in New Zealand has been considered a very like far left thing for a while now. Like, whereas back in the days of like the Iraq war and, you know, like previous things, it's always been like, it's like, that's the liberal position, but then it kind of got pushed out to being like the far left position. But now it's coming back to that liberal position to even like the kind of like liberal centrist position. So um, yeah, which is, is good to see um, because yeah, it, our government tends to do this well i mean our i guess our people as a whole like our kind of like state and media apparatus and all this kind of stuff tend to do these things when it's like a war is over or like any kind of conflict is over it's always like kind of gets um the kind of image that gets pushed of like the new zealand identity is like the people that were like no we're not gonna you know like we didn't stand for like South African apartheid, we, you know, like with the Springbok tour, we stood up against that. We stood up against this. We wouldn't let nuclear ships dock in our shores and all this kind of stuff. And it's always like a very small group of activists did that protest that. And then at the end of the day, after all it's finished, everyone's just like, that was us. And it's like, well, 
it wasn't all of us. It's like the boomer Woodstock <laughs> effect or the boomer anti-war protest effect where every yeah. boomer claims they're at Woodstock and every boomer yeah, claims yeah, yeah. they like put their body on the line to fight yeah. against the Vietnam War. It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we are I don't to think the numbers young. line up with every single boomer being there, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, exactly. It's the same thing. Like, um, yeah, we are starting to see a lot of um kind of media commentators and journalists that were very like rabidly pushing like the kind of Hasbara lines um during the early days um of well not the early days of the conflict but in the days after October seventh sort of thing um that are now kind of like changing their position or like you know like kind of like relitigating their support for Israel and kind of being like um you know like oh um you know like I always thought that was going too far like I you know like they have a right to defend themselves but I I always thought that maybe they were taking a little bit too far it's like man like we remember what you said like it was in the newspapers it was on the tv like you were beating the war drums and all that kind of stuff but so these people are kind of turning around so I think that that kind of matches the um you know, because I guess for a lot of them, it is a it's a career move where they don't want to get, you know, they don't want to be seen as the bloodthirsty people that will never get hired again or whatever. But I think it's um, it is indicative of like it's a response to the market, right? So it's like the average New Zealander is like we don't want to hear that shit, so they go like, oh, okay, so well we can't do that anymore, you know. So um, like the newspapers and stuff have started actually kind of being you know, like when they say like these people were killed in a, you know, in a strike or like in a bombing or whatever like that. Now they're actually saying like these Palestinian people were killed by Israeli strikes, you know, like they're actually naming it now. So, um, yeah, so that's a, a positive development, but it's just like, you know, it's wild that it's had to get to this point to acknowledge you know that these are these are people and there is a very clear kind of um you know like for sure guy, bad guy sort of thing where it's like you know it's like these guys represent global hegemony and have like the backing of like the most powerful forces in the world all this kind of stuff like that and then these these guys are the you know it's a david and goliath thing right mm-hmm. it's exhausting to so have to keep reminding people of that you know yeah yeah what, yeah i was actually talking about this yesterday um was it yes no no what is time? Yesterday, the last time I streamed, um, I was talking about this because we were view- reviewing uh, South Africa's ICJ like like statements, um, like their testimony, if you will, um, which we will discuss later on in the news section of this sh- show. But when I was talking about it, I'm like, this is a bittersweet for me because on one hand, I'm very, very glad this is happening. On the yeah. other hand, it took so long and so yeah. much m- so much death and atrocity and like you're saying like this isn't like a new thing this is this isn't like well i'm all for israel's right to defend themselves but now it's a little too much like israel's never had a right to defend itself and yeah, yeah. it is always been too much yeah yeah apartheid like, is always too much <laughs> we've seen these atrocities like streamed out in real time like from directly from both sides of this conflict and for so many people, that just was like not enough. And it's like, what is enough? You know. Anyway, we'll get back to the we'll get back to that stuff a little bit later on in the um the stream. But uh, Mule, why don't you tell us about what the most based thing you've been up to over the holiday period is? 
Thanks very much, Tim. Um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, it, it's obviously, you know, I think, uh, like Tim said, uh, going to demos, all that kind of stuff. I can't say that I've been part of anything more based when it comes to Palestine in terms of, uh, you know, going and blockading an arms factory or anything like that. However, um, I have been concentrating a lot on the tenants union, as I always do. Um, and suffice to say, there's a lot of stuff um, that's been going on and GMTU has been really uh, picking up. And it's been very exciting because uh, I didn't realize just how, you know, effective it was to get a bunch of people involved in the member solidarity team because now most of those people are fully ready and confident to start like dealing with landlords uh, disputes, our members disputes with their landlords and stuff. Um, and they're sort of like just doing a lot of work and that's great. And it's almost like my workload is dramatically uh, reduced in that regard. So I could concentrate on other stuff, more like committee related stuff. Um, which is just as important because, it, you know, it's sort of like, well, we're me, me and Connor, the guy who's also been elected to the committee for the member solidarity team. Um, it's our job to kind of coordinate the team. Like we're not managers in the sense that we're the boss. We can't like sack anyone, but we're supposed to sort of like help everyone uh, cohesively know how to handle disputes and how to uh, empower members and stuff like that. And, um, you know, keep building tenant power at the, at the heart of everything that we do. Um, so I've been able to focus a lot more on helping with campaigns, which has been really good. Uh, for example, we did uh, door knocking just after Christmas or just before Christmas. I can't remember exactly which. Uh, just after Christmas, I think it was, we were, um, door knocking on an estate in Hume, which is not too far from where I live. Um, and they were trying to get everyone together in the Hume branch to sign a big letter to the social housing provider because every single house with this particular, uh, housing association have got like terrible windows that are like 20 years old and they're all rotten. The houses are freezing. They're having to put the heating up loads. Uh, it's costing them loads of money. Um, you know, these are all vulnerable tenants, you know, from a mixture of like disabled people, migrants, uh, racialized people. Like it's, it's, you know, just such like a, 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 an absolute mix of the most vulnerable people in society and they're being failed, you know. Um, and one of these people, um, who's like really, really nice, like they're all really nice. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if someone is nice or not, but it's just a, a particular like, you know, observation for me. He was just like such a nice guy. Um, and he was like very, 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 reserved in his in his criticisms and stuff but it just got too much for him because over christmas he's a 999 uh nhs responder um sort of like you know does the phone stuff and what have you um and he was like basically saying that he came home on new year's eve after doing like a night shift uh you know fucking new year's eve and uh they like his carbon monoxide alarm was going off and so he phoned the gas emergency people they said right sorry we got to turn it off uh, speak to your housing association and obviously it was freezing he didn't have any like hot water any any heating in the house no hob uh and so like you know we said to him listen we'll do what we did with uh last year there was a member anna and uh, sorry anya in uh in alderman we did like a video to shame the, the housing association so I, I went around with my camera and just basically filmed a bunch of, uh, you know, all the, the windows rotting away, the mold in his bathroom, you know, a little bit of his NHS uniform to get the heartstrings going, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. And just interviewed him and just said, tell us what's going on. Um, luckily, we didn't have to use it because they immediately, like, came around when they saw that we were tweeting about it. 
Um, so that was very good. So they fixed that for him, but that was, that's something that I've started doing again is basically using my, uh, videographer knowledge to help the union. There's also a campaign I've been helping with in Ardwick and I might be able to just give me, give me a second. I might be able to find it for you. For the uh, podcast listeners, the Mule pile. just disappeared into thin right. air and it's, just reappeared. I've got, I've got incredible. it. I've got it here. I made this. This is, I made, I literally made this. Um, where is it? Oh God. There we go. No one can even see what it says because it's like backwards and we're not in the right thing. Uh, but it says, Ardwick is not the car park of the city. And I made a big uh, banner, uh, essentially, to like hold up because there's <laughs> a couple of minutes away from my from my house where I live um, is, um, I hope I'm not doxing myself by saying this, but like it's a, a, a place called Ardwick, which is a neighborhood that is uh, suffering from a threat of gentrification it's already had a lot of developments being built around there um but a massive 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 development is being planned uh the people of ardwick have like no doctor's clinic near where they live they have to either go into town or they have to go to like the next neighborhoods and it's like an hour journey there and back basically and it's the same with supermarkets they don't have like a big supermarket when i went down to the community center to help make that uh, banner uh, one of the guys there, Jeff, was like, right, I'm just going to go to Asda. I'll be back in an hour. And I was like, which Asda are you going? And he was going to go in the one in Hume. And that was just crazy to me because I was thinking, oh, my God, he's right. It's going to take him an hour to go to the supermarket. Um, and it's just like so inconvenient for absolutely everybody. Uh, you know, people just can't get groceries. It's 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 just it's, in, in, in a major city. It's, it's an absolute disgrace. So anyway, the reason I'm saying that is because these developers do not want to build a doctor's clinic. They don't want to build a supermarket. They want to build two massive tower blocks of student accommodation, which is not, you know, going to be student accommodation that is like affordable or good. Um, you know, it's all going to be private landlords owning this stuff, service departments where like the building management company sells the, the individual apartments to individual landlords and then they can do whatever they want with it. Um, they might not even rent it out to students. You know, they might start renting it out to professionals. Uh, there's no car parking plan for the development. So people are just going to park their cars on the estate, which is next to the, uh, 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 the development and th this neighborhood is literally and I, and this freaks me out because I'm so close to it. I didn't even know this, uh, but it's the most polluted neighborhood in the country. Um, so like, you know, I'm sat there and I'm thinking, oh, that's not good for me either, actually, because I'm so close to that. It must be just as bad where I am. I'm literally not that far. And I was like, okay, right. So, you know, not only am I doing this because this, I know it's the right thing to do, but actually this affects me as well. Um, because if they, if they start building this development, it's going to, uh, completely overshadow, literally overshadow because the sun won't be able to get to it. The park that's next to the land, uh, where there is already like a very limited amount of wildlife there. It's a tiny park. Um, and even then, you know, people aren't going to be able to like have their kids play there and, you know, stuff like this. So it's just, yeah, it's just like a really, really, nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. And everybody's calling it the monster. Um, and so we basically did that. We took that banner down to a school, a local school where there was like some parents and kids who like wanted to help us like promote this idea of like, you know, we don't, we don't want this thing being built. It's going to hurt our kids' lungs. Um, you know, and uh, it was really good. I did like a little interview. We put that on Twitter. Uh, the campaign's called Not the Car Park of the City. If you want to check that out on Twitter, that'd be really helpful um, because it's going into 
the planning committee again, it went to the planning committee at the, at the, the city council. I think it was a week before Christmas. And I think that they did that on purpose because they thought they wouldn't be able to, you know what I mean? Have, have much people in the, uh, in the way of opposing it. But we had three really, really good counselors. Uh, one of whom Amna, uh, Abdul Latif, who is actually one of the counselors who stepped down from being a labor counselor due to the stance on Palestine. Um, and so she was there and she was basically voicing her concerns on behalf of her ward. Um, there was also Abdi, uh, I think his name is Gafour, I might be wrong, but he was also like saying the same kind of stuff. And there was another guy, I forget his name, Gareth something or other, but he was another local councillor and they were all saying this is obviously a work, a, a, an attack on the working class people of this city. Uh, Ardwick has like an absolutely amazing uh, multicultural mix. Like, you know, there's a lot of different types of people in Ardwick um, and this is just going to like divide people more. It's going to bring more like rich people into the into the the neighborhood and and it's just going to increase alienation and stuff like that so we got that pushed back but it's going back into planning this week so if you could support it uh that'd be really really good give it give us a retweet all that kind of stuff i'll find a link for you in the second and put it in the chat mm -hmm. but for the podcast listeners it's uh not the car park of the city on twitter so that's that really i'm gonna stop talking now because there's loads of stuff that i did over over the holidays but um sounds like it yeah i'm just, yeah. I'm just disappointed that your banner doesn't talk about how you're bisexual on it <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> hidden behind the green screen now yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. For, for everyone who doesn't know what i'm talking about mule had made this sign that says this bisexual stands with palestine is it that's right but from a distance, it just looks and and the way that it's arranged on stream, it looks like an arrow just pointing down on Mule, and then it says this bisexual Palestine. I've still got it. I'll show it for everyone who wants to sign. watch the video. I love that sign. The classic Mule sign. This bisexual, and then the stands with is is written really thin marker, so from a distance you can't really see it. At least on stream, yeah. Um, you can see it now, but I don't know. I love that sign. Thank it's you a solid much. sign too. I'm really proud of it. I'm really I love proud when people of it. have protest signs that talk about like personal stuff. That's well, like, you know, it's we need all sorts of like different signs at protest. But I like the ones where they're like this Jude like stands with Palestine or this bisexual stands with Palestine to kind of like poke holes in the idea that it's, you know, that queer it, people could never or Jewish people could never. Yeah, it's anti pinkwashing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because like pinkwashing was like literally created to talk about Israel, right? And yeah. you know, that's like yeah. one of the classic lines of being like, well, you know, like if you went to Gaza, they would like behead you and throw you off a building or whatever. By the way, those are the people that never stand up for, for, for queer people and are always being queer phobic. And then they're like, I'm going to tell you what the horrible things that happen to you. It's like, you're just trying to just be just a horrible person, a queer I've people. I've seen a lot of the, and I've also had friends that have experienced this more directly where people will be like, you know, in Gaza, they would do this terrible stuff to people like you. And so, you know, because of that, I'm going to do, I'm going to do terrible things to you. And it's kind of like, well, okay, well, I can get it from you or I can get it from them. So, you know. and, and, and the fact remains that if I like demonstrated by literally tons of evidence of this kind of thing happening, if I went to Gaza, uh, actually I would probably get bombed by Israelis or shot by Israeli snipers. Like it, it's 
far more likely. Like that there was there was that one um American woman, I can't remember her name. I think it was Rachel something. She t- tied herself in front of a bulldozer uh and the bulldozer just like ran her over. Rachel um, Corey. Yeah. yeah Rachel yeah. No, Corey. No, she didn't tie herself in front of it. She was just standing there protesting and it, Oh, it, really? Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so it's worse than that. No, it's worse. It's worse. <laughs> yeah. It's always worse. <laughs> it is always worse with Israel. <laughs> and she's become like a, a hero over there, you know, like, yeah, because the attention that she brought, you know, it's like that thing where it's like they can run over 20 Palestinians with a bulldozer and the international press will, you know, say nothing or whatever. But um, for a foreigner, especially like, you know, like a, a British or American citizen. I think she's white and and blonde, right? Yeah, that's right. She was. Yeah. Yeah. So Speaking of the signs and stuff like that the jewish ones i think as well are really great because like so many people will say like how do the jewish people of south africa feel about this like you know like i'm thinking of all you please be strong and shit like that and then there was like someone that had put reposted from one of the big protests over there and it was this huge group with um jews for palestine and all this kind of stuff like that and they were just like yeah we're doing fine actually you know like mm-hmm. don't worry about us which i think is good and i think that like the visual is really strong and it's um a really great um not just like show of solidarity obviously which is awesome it very tangibly uh pushes back on that kind of um you know, that idea that all Jews are united in support of Israel, which they're absolutely not, you know. So, um, yes, that's great. It's actually now time for Kira to tell us what she's been up to over the holiday Ooh, season. That's me. Thanks for asking. Um, so Twitch banned me for terrorism. <laughs> that's right. We can Thanks. talk about it here, can't we? We can actually? talk about it, it here. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's great. There's a lot that I cannot talk about at the moment, but there's stuff that's happening. But like I, I'm I'm working with a lawyer, so that's all I'm gonna say. We're trying to figure out how to proceed, but uh, so far Twitch has not been cooperative. To to just fill everyone in, if you're if you don't know a lot about me, I've been a streamer on Twitch for about seven years. Um, Twitch has kind of always headed out for me. They've banned me a bunch of times. The ban I was the ban that Twitch. Uh, administered prior to this one was a ban for two weeks for quote unquote commentary grouping white men. So just to give you a flavor of what kind of repercussions I've been receiving from just exist- existing on Twitch. And you didn't even say the C word. <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even say any of the, of the naughty words. It was just merely just, just commentary grouping white men. So this last ban uh, was an indefinite suspension, meaning I will I am permanently banned from Twitch, which is a reason why we've moved the show over to YouTube, because Twitch has this pretty wise, widespreading policy, which is if you're banned on any of your accounts, you are not allowed anywhere on the platform ever again. Right. Um, Unless they unban you, of course. So we moved it to YouTube for that reason. So. While I'm fighting that ban, and by the way, for the record, I don't know why specifically I was banned. They just said it was because I was providing like positive something about I was like speaking positively about terrorism or I was somehow something about me doing some something with regards to terrorism. But it's very vague. They haven't responded to any of my my requests, like reaching out to ask, like, what what's the detail here, which is really frustrating because like. I have been with Twitch for so long, and this is a pretty egregious accusation. Um, 
So in the meantime, like I said, I can't really talk about too much in too much detail right now about the steps that we're taking to try to uh, address the situation. I will once I get the get the like go to for my lawyer. But um, yeah, so we're we're trying to deal with that. In the meantime, I've been dealing with the mental health fallout of all of that because this is as a full time streamer who entire career built from scratch on Twitch. Uh, this is a really big blow. And so I am um, trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces in the interim, assuming that I will never be unbanned from Twitch. I'm just going to make that assumption and just move forward. So I've been streaming on YouTube and it's actually been not that bad, um, but it's still YouTube. So it's like, eh, you know, as you can <laughs> tell through the people in the chat right now, you know, it's a little more of a clunky interface. Um, there are some perks to it, though, like over Twitch, but. Yeah, yeah it, 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 I just Twitch has been kind of the place that I have built my whole everything. So it's it's just a it's just a shock. You know, I can't really talk about it, like I said, like too much. And I don't also want to give any fuel to any of the fascists that ended up being responsible for this ban, because that's what happened. Uh, I was targeted by fascists. But uh, just know that it, it's 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 been really traumatic for me, like a hugely emotionally traumatic experience, but um, I'm trying to pick up the pieces. So that, that's what's going on with me. So as far as like the most base thing I've done, I mean, I guess it's kind of base that I got banned for terrorism. But like, Yes, it is. Yes, it is actually. <laughs> I went too hard for Palestine, I guess. I, guess just, <laughs> I don't really, I really know. Um, I will say I for agree. the record that terrorism is wrong. And you should always follow the law. Yes, as we always as we always maintain here in the Red Planet show. It's true, um, isn't it? Yes. Um, but it, apart from that, you know, I've been trying to advocate for Palestinians as best I can. Um, but yeah, this has been a pretty, pretty hard emotional blow that's kind of like thrown me off off my feet of it. So um bear with me as I try to get back on them. Well, just so you know, um that i've always been a very big advocate for subbing off twitch and not giving twitch any money and asking oh, yeah. for donors directly to my paypal and stuff like yeah. that uh and whenever i mention it now i mention the fact that uh the main reason that you shouldn't give twitch any money is because it bans people for talking about palestine yeah. um and of course i'm doing that with with you mainly in mind but there's a lot of people isn't there that have also suffered uh from that but then strangely some people who haven't suffered from it um who just have to bring in a lot of money for Twitch. What's yeah, that about? Yeah, Can't sure. be anything. Uh, it's probably I probably shouldn't have mentioned it. I don't think it's relevant. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Mm. But follow me on uh, YouTube, y'all. It's just the same thing. It's Kira Chats on YouTube. Um, and make sure you hang out with me. And you know what? If you show up from uh, this show, you hear me saying this, and you show up to one of my next streams. Say you did that because it makes you feel like when I say these things, that people are listening. So it's really cool. Someone's like, hey. You said that you moved to YouTube on Red Planet, and that's why I'm here. And then, and then we'll become best friends. That's how it works. That's, that's how, how me it and works. became best friends. Actually, that's true. We are friends. Actually, it's true. Yeah. We do talk outside <laughs> of us, just, outside of stream. It's not just an illusion to stream. No. That's true. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. So, um, what do we have next on the on the docket? Oh yeah, the most base things we've done. So um, if you want to be included in the next uh, Red Planet show in the intro, because this is kind of an unconventional show in which we're kind of catching up after a lot of time being away, a lot of stuff. 
Um, but we want to know what base things you've been doing. You can message us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, or send us an email to based at redplanetshow.com. Include your name and pronouns if you're cool with that, and we may shout it out at a later episode. So let's jump directly two feet first into the deep end of the news, shall we? All right. Let's do first, first story. Uh, COP28 was embarrassing nonsense, of course. In December of last year, the UN held their 28th annual climate conference, known as the Conference of All Parties, or COP28, or COP28 in Dubai. The UAE is one of the top 10 oil-producing countries in the world. The conference appointed Sultan Al-Jaber, a chief executive of UAE state-owned oil company Adnoc, as its conference president. So to be clear... The chief executive of a major a major oil company oversaw the COP28 conference. That sounds normal. Yeah. Not a conflict of interest in any yeah, way. Not of, of course not. Jaber uses his position to claim that there is no, no science, quote unquote, behind the idea of a phase out fossil fuels to tackle climate change. His company is expecting to massively increase their oil production over the next decade. Some may take comfort from the fact that the summit made a promise to move away from fossil fuels despite Sultan Al-Jaber's comments, but this would be pretty silly. The commitment isn't legally binding and doesn't compel countries to do anything, and it doesn't specify any timescale, which is a pretty typical, like, you know, just say things, but never actually have any sort of, like, specific actionable items so you can never really be held to account, you know? Um, Yeah. This year's COP29 is sent, set to take place in Azerbaijan, another oil-rich country that has been carrying out genocide in Armenia to gain better control of the Baku oil field. So, wow, we look forward <laughs> to that like, one. Yeah, being also equally productive. Like, everything just comes back to like these petrochemical and like other kind of like resource extractive kind of um, industries, right? Like it just all comes back to. Oh yeah, by the way, this is all about oil or this mm-hmm. is all about cobalt or lithium or there's so much more of that even just in the news today. Right? Well, there was an amazing um uh, article, I forget who wrote it in the latest edition of Organize. If you're not already uh, subscribed to Organize, I think it's the Anarchist Federation on Patreon, really really cool uh activism and uh, organizing as the name implies magazine. Uh there was a really cool piece in that about uh, the genocide against uh, Armenians and how many uh, uh, British Tory politicians are actually part of what I think is a, a lobbying group um, to support Azerbaijan in, it, in its in its uh, in its genocide and it, and it, it's it's got some, one of these horrific names like conservative friends of Azerbaijan or something like that yeah, yeah. you know what I mean where it's like and it is it is literally just all about uh, oil it's literally just all about uh, you yeah, know, yeah. trying to extract that value. So yeah, it's it's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's like there's so much of what's going on. You know, like we see this a lot with like Gaza and stuff, where it's like people come up with these just like super convoluted things about like, oh, this is a war of culture. This is a war of religion. This is like a war of this, that, whatever. And then it's just like you just like pull the string just like a tiny little bit or like, you know, you take the mask of the Scooby-Doo villain and it's just like capital, you know, it's just like, Oh, there's, there's like value here in some way, Mm -hmm. you know, just like material value. It's like a resource or whatever. And it's like, 
you know, like it's just so, so obvious, but um, yeah, you know, it's like then, you know, you start pulling the string on that and you go like, Oh, okay. Well, who, who stands to profit here? And it's like, Oh, you know, the usual suspects anyway. Um, we'll get more into some of that with some of these other things, but um, our next little number here is about the riots breaking out in the DRC. So the democratic Republic of Congo as former oil executive opposition candidate declares the election rigged in favor of his opponent. So, We've got this guy over in the DRC, Martin Fayulu, who is kind of like a, this kind of Trumpy kind of figure. Like a lot of people say, like he is like, you know, he's the Trump of the Congo. He's one of the opposition leaders at the moment. And uh, it's a minority party. Like it's um, so he got 4% of the votes, but he believes that he was robbed of this election, that there was some kind of like election manipulation or something like that going on. The same way that, you know, like anyone like that, when they lose, whether it's Trump or down here, we had a couple of years back when national loss, it was, it was because of, you know, election tampering. It was because of this, because it was something going on. And I mean, like, not to say that that kind of stuff never happens, but I don't think it's happening in this case. Like we've seen this happen before in, you know, in um, places like in South America and stuff like that, where, you know, like and elections have gone from like being rigged to coups afterwards where they're just like, oh, actually, well, you know, like we were caught doing this, but it doesn't matter. We're just going to take over anyway or whatever. But um, yeah, it does seem like this guy is extremely popular with a very small percentage of the people of um, Congo. But uh, he has a very invested fan base in the same way that, you know, you could say that Trump does. So because of this, there's been a lot of riots from his base who have been uh, doing all kinds of stuff over there. Fayulu himself is actually a former oil executive. But as always, this this billionaire petrochemical profiteer um, is a man of the people, according to his fans. Um, He's a he's. He understands the working class people of of Congo. Actually, you know, he's just like Trump. He's like so far removed from the working class. He was an executive in the petrochemical industry, mainly for Exxon Mobil for about 20 years. He's doing the thing that a lot of these kind of populist types do, where it's like they do look at these real economic pressures and like these uh, anxieties that people have where they're like, yeah, you know, like, things do suck now you know so he's saying things like you know is there a single congolese who can tell me that he lives better than in 2018 um you know and then he says so mr chisakiri i think is how you pronounce that um who is like you know the the current president and the incumbent you know the, the guy that won the election who's going to be the next uh, as well uh he's saying he has done nothing you know since 2018 he's done nothing none of our lives are better than they were back then and it is like a really poor country uh like so according to bbc statistics about two-thirds of the country's 100 million people live below the poverty line so it's two-thirds of 100 million which is like wild yeah yeah it's a lot of people yeah yeah, yeah. so that's wild i'm so earning a pound 70 a day or less um this is not a poor country. It's a problem of um, you know, the distribution of wealth. Yeah, of exploitation. Yeah. So Fayulu himself is like, he's a super rich oil dude. He doesn't have anything in common with these people that are earning like 
two dollars American a day or anything like that. He's, you know, he's he's living sweet because of the privatization of these resources that is causing this kind of like wealth disparity, right? So yeah, pretty ironic that uh that he's saying that. So he got about four percent. The next guy up that got like in the opposition they got like 16 percent is a mining magnate football tycoon dude as well so it's kind of like there's populist reactionary kind of forces on the right over there that are like basically representatives of these extractive industries you know that want to take this wealth they're claiming that they can support these industries to you know to help out the people of congo but um yeah i don't know like Evidence shows that in the past, it hasn't really worked out that way. Congo has had a thing before where they are like, um, a lot of countries had tried to get involved to take resources from them, like cobalt and stuff like that. But they have always held off and said, we would prefer to develop the infrastructure ourselves and then make it so, you know, like so that our country can benefit from it. But um, it looks like what these guys are trying to do is more like, um yeah privatize further privatize those resources so that other people can come in like you know people like exxon Mobil can come in set up the infrastructure and pump everything out and send it overseas and while obviously that will you know give jobs to people and all that kind of stuff it's fundamentally not addressing you know the bigger picture it's not really going to help out the working class people of uh, Congo in the long term. So, um, yeah, so um, the DRC is the second largest country in Africa by landmass. So it's just like huge, you know, like it's, it's gigantic. And it's a huge exporter of raw minerals, which has just always made it the ultimate target for all kinds of, um, yeah, all kinds of different colonial governments over the world. Um, most people probably know about all the gnarly stuff that, uh, that Belgium did in the Congo, some of the most horrific kind of examples of colonial violence that, um, that you'll ever hear of uh, was, yeah, from, uh, was in Congo under Belgium, um, which they, you know, they've been, um, they've been independent from Belgium for a little while now, but it was that kind of thing that, you know, they love to do where they kind of leave a scorched earth behind when they, when they get out. So when Belgium left Congo, they just basically destroyed everything, um, all the infrastructure and buildings that they built. So just, you know, like roads and bridges and everything like that, they were like, all right, we're out we're getting rid of all this stuff so it's a, it's a hugely um disconnected country where it's like you know there's there's a lot of the time there's no way to get from one area to the other there's no roads or whatever like that you just have to go through the bush or whatever you know like just like huge cities inaccessible to certain areas and all this kind of stuff it's kind of like a bit of a mess so um it's a country that has been set up to fail by the colonizers that came before and then you know like subsequent governments kind of uh failing the people over and over again so hopefully hopefully um you know they can get a little bit of stability and security sometimes soon there are uh, rebel groups fighting within congo at the moment separate from these kind of protesters and stuff like that so hopefully um one day we'll get to see a free Democratic Republic of Congo. But at the moment, things are looking pretty grim for them. Um, 
yeah, hopefully these <laughs> these kind of reactionary populist guys can uh, can get the picture and leave. But I feel like they're probably it's probably not the last. Like I don't feel like when the new guy gets sworn and they're just gonna go quietly. So yeah. Anyway, uh, well, Mule, why don't you tell us what's going back in your homeland uh, with uh, with with your friend Keir Starmer? I love him. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, he's my best friend. Uh, yes, this next news story is about how Keir Starmer has plans to process asylum seekers overseas. And some of the Americans who watch the show and listen to the show, or perhaps anyone in Europe outside of the UK or anywhere in the world, will be thinking, hang on a minute, DJ Mule, don't you mean Rishi Sunak has plans to process asylum seekers overseas? No, actually, this is the leader of the quote-unquote opposition in our country. Um, so the UK courts actually put a stop to Rishi Sunak's attempt to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda for the time being. Um, this is something we've spoken about on the show. We had uh, Jess from, um, well, Jess actually speaking in their own capacity as an independent journalist, I think that was when we had them last on the show. And they were talking about uh, the actual law and what's surrounding uh, the possibility of, of uh, the Tory government being able to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda. Um, there are, of course, many problems with that uh, in general, uh, but that was a, a big plan of the, the, the Tory government of the Tory government at the at the time that we were discussing that. Uh, since then, it's been put to bed, uh, but Parliament has been working on a new immigration agreement and according to a report from the times the labor party has developed plans to instead discourage refugees from ever landing in britain by processing their asylum claims offshore uh so if to to kind of like put you in the picture of this if you're wondering why this is such a vile thing to do asylum claims are similarly bureaucratic in the way that like i don't know um i don't want to i don't want to say it's exactly the same but it's very similar to like maybe you're a trans person seeking healthcare. uh maybe you're a, a neurodivergent person who wants to get diagnosed uh you know these kinds of things are not really taken as uh a a priority by uh the institutions that they are uh basically governed by and therefore can be a very long and arduous process. It can be extremely humiliating. Uh, it can lead to situations where people are uh, in, in indeed actually like, uh, you know, put in prisons, put in, a, a, in, in a, what are effectively concentration camps. People will know about the, the Bibby Stockholm, uh, which is a floating prison, essentially, for asylum seekers uh, in the uh, in the UK. It's uh, extremely embarrassing and extremely unfortunate that this kind of stuff is going on. Um, but anyway, so, uh, you know, the, 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 the Labour Party, which is supposed to be the opposition party, is saying, oh, well, you know, we won't be that bad, but we're still going to try and court reactionaries uh, by telling them that, yes, we will deal with the, the, the quote unquote migrant problem. Uh, which is, of course, false consciousness. There is no migrant problem uh, in, in, in the UK. And if there is a migrant problem, if you want to, you know, I guess, uh, define it as that, then you have to actually look at the reasons why there are migrants wanting to come to the UK. Maybe it's something to do with the fact that we're bombing the fuck out of their countries, uh, or at least giving the people who are doing that lots of money. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, it can't be relevant. I'll just move on. Uh, but yeah, no, so uh, this is the thing, like... Um, 
you know, what the opposition are trying to do. They're trying to court reactionaries. They're trying to say, oh, yeah, 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 don't worry about it. We're all, we're all over this migrant stuff. We're all over the boat people, you know, don't worry about it. Uh, so what they're saying is like, oh, well, while we're not going to send them to Rwanda, uh, we're going to make them deal with all this bureaucratic, horrible stuff where they don't actually have a permanent address in France, uh, you know, where they like, you know, they might have come all the way through Europe, like they might have gotten through the Schengen zone uh, and they've gotten all the way through Europe. They found themselves in France at Calais. And, you know, the, the, the UK, I guess, has a little office there where they're like, we're going to process your claim here. But like, what's your address? Oh, you don't have one. Oh, well, I guess you got to go and get an address from France first. You know, this kind of thing. Uh, France, which is, of course, like, you know, one of the most, uh, you know, racist countries in, in, in Europe at the minute. Like, if we're talking about actual, like, policies that are, uh, legitimately harming racialized people in France. You know, they've got the burqa ban and stuff like that. A lot of people coming to, to, to the UK, having to, to stop over in France, are Muslim. Uh, and so, you know, don't want to face that kind of humiliation, which is completely understandable. Um, so, yeah, it, this this whole thing is just like absolutely vile, as I'm sure you can tell. That's that's my opinion on this. Uh, you know, Labour's plans essentially would avoid the legal challenges which have stymied the Rwanda plan, uh, which is found out as we discussed, uh, I think we might have discussed it. We might not have discussed it um, uh, on on a previous show, but uh, I'm sure we've talked about the legal challenges that could come as a result with it. Uh, but that has actually been found to prevent the Rwanda plan from going ahead, which is good for the time being. Uh, it was out of the compliance, uh, out of compliance with the European Convention on Human Rights, unsurprisingly, and the UN Refugee Convention as well. Uh, the Tories have expressed resistance to allowing asylum seekers to apply from within European nations out of fear it will encourage further illegal migration. Um, so the Tories is kind of like, they're, they're, they're trying to, uh, what they're trying to do is they know that people will come to the UK illegally anyway, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, well, you could come here and we could give you asylum, but you've got to be very well behaved. And as soon as you start doing anything we don't like, we're going to send you to Rwanda kind of thing, uh, which is just, you know, if you look at the broader strokes of it, if you look at a more uh, materialist analysis of it, the ruling class are essentially trying to create an underclass. It's already created. It already exists uh, through migrants where they can be forced to do jobs that no one wants to do. If anyone's ever had Deliveroo in the UK, I'm sure that people are well aware that like the majority of people who work for Deliveroo are migrants, the people in the gig economy, people who do extremely degrading, dehumanizing, very unpaid work. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of like, do this stuff, be well behaved, be happy with your shitty temporary accommodation, don't complain. Otherwise, Otherwise, you go into Rwanda. That's kind of in the Tories' idea about it. But of course, Labour's idea um, is like, you know, arguably more insidious, I would say. Like, it, it's on the same level, at least. I don't think it's any better. Um, you know, there's no liberation in, in, involved. There's, there's no uh, anti-racist uh, uh, elements to this to this idea um it, it's bureaucratic and bureaucracy kills uh, as i was implying when i started reading this this news story um but this is not you know unique to the uk uh, leaders in several countries have been considering similar offshore asylum schemes like austria denmark and germany um you know this is something that you've got to think about uh, in terms of numbers, you know, nearly 30,000 migrants crossed the English Channel in 2023. And, you know, a lot of those migrants are hoping that they can, you know, just get in the country uh, and sort of like, you know, 
blend in and, 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 you know, get a job. And I think that like, you know, someone listening to this show might be thinking that I'm coming at this from a reactionary point of view, but no, I think that's based actually. I think more migrants should be able to do that because it, they should just be allowed to have a normal life. Um, and, um, but the thing is, is that like, you know, a lot of those migrants that have been apprehended by the border force or perhaps, um, you know, right wing reactionary groups that do indeed, you know, patrol the, the shores of Britain, which is just completely fucked. Uh, you know, they, they will get apprehended and therefore sent to the police, sent to the home office, processed, and then put in one of these horrific, uh, prisons for, uh, asylum seekers in the UK. So it's, uh, it's an awful situation and, uh, you know, it, it doesn't nearly, uh, come close to solving any kind of a problem. Um, you know, I would suggest that if Keir Starmer wanted to solve the problem of migrants coming to the country, uh, maybe he could just not solve it because it isn't actually a problem let them come here uh or stop apologizing for israel uh and promising to give them a lot of money when they when you get into power and also all the other uh you know countries that are oppressing places in the middle east where a lot of these migrants are coming from and in africa let's not forget africa as well so there we go there's my big rant about Keir Starmer and uh, his awful racist uh, uh ideas I would like to interject very briefly. Um, I, I've been trying not to laugh this whole time because the YouTube chat has been very funny with regards to Keir Starmer. I just want to like to read this is very un, very untraditional, but this is a new sh- first show, new year. And I feel like kind of going off the rails a bit. Um, just, just a couple of the comments that were made. Um, Ludo Nara says Starmer can never look like an organic life form in a photo. <laughs> And says, Keith always looks like he's halfway through explaining to someone how she took the kids in the divorce. <laughs> and then Aria says, Kira looks like he just got told only 12% of humans are white. <laughs> yeah. There's he's, so many he's, bangers. These are just some of them. Well done, Chad. He's, he's very, very much, you know, like, he's yeah, very, this, he's these, so Tory looking. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's, it's, these are very good jokes, but like, if we, if we're going to analyze, if we're going to be boring about it and do an analysis, what we have to remember is that Keir Starmer is extremely alienated from the working class. And that's why all these things are true. Uh, you know, he doesn't understand what life is like for anyone, even though he claims to have grown up on a council estate, which I might add, actually, it is possible to grow up on a council estate and not be poor like that's a thing that a lot of people like forget a lot of the time like yes it's very difficult uh you know to own your own council flat and not have the council like you know buy it back or something like that you know what i mean uh but there are situations where that has happened and people have made a lot of money and you know maybe their kids have gone on to be barristers and therefore the whatever fucking Keith was when he was putting people away. I think he was like a, a, a court high court judge or something, you know? So he definitely just put a lot of people, uh, behind bars, disgusting, uh, piece of shit bastard. I couldn't think of a better, uh, <laughs> alternative. For, for... I do not. Red Planet does not condone this language. I know. I know it's too late now. It's way too it's late. It's out there. <laughs> Uh, Tim, why don't you tell us about another racist white guy? All right. Well, which one? Let's fucking throw a dot and <laughs> see who we find. Um, no, so um, Donald Trump, uh, Colorado and Maine have just ruled that he is ineligible for the presidential ballot in their states. So, yeah, there's been a lot of controversy around this. People are like, is this... Can they do that? You know, can we just write them in? Um, so yeah, a couple of US states have taken steps to prevent Donald Trump from running for president with a Colorado Supreme Court ruling in December that he is ineligible to be on the Republican presidential primary ballot 
following his incitement of the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol in 2021. Oh, I thought I thought it was because uh, he's orange and has a diaper doo-doo butt. (laughs) These are the the criticisms I've heard from liberals. I thought that that's why we don't like Trump, because he's Mm. orange and a diaper doo-doo butt. Don't you know he will be a fascist dictator once he's in power? And, and democracy definitely... will be over forever. Yeah, It'll yeah. be over forever, Because it's happening it? now. We have democracy now, for the record. This is there what is it is. There is democracy. And there is rights for trans people, queer people in general. Right, that's and... why also there's no... Uh, we, we, you know, the U.S. is no longer uh, providing any arms or aid to Israel because most people in the United States do not want that to happen. So as a result, our representative democracy has responded <laughs> and Trump will take that away from us. And he's orange. Yeah. Yes. And diaper. He's orange. And he's a Cheeto. He'll Cheeto. be in the White House again. Anyways, I'll carry on, Tim. I'm sorry. I just had to interject for a moment. It was very important. Okay, go yeah, ahead. The mainstream media won't tell you that, but that's the actual reason. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and then, uh, yeah, that was obviously, that was followed by main security of state, uh, secretary of state, sorry, I'm making a similar decision two weeks later. So the rulings are based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which disqualifies anyone from holding office who has previously taken an oath of office and later engaged in insurrection or rebellion. So this was like, there was a lot of that stuff happening in court where they were like, is this an insurrection? Is Was this a rebellion? This kind of stuff. And um, yeah, and I think uh, they pretty much proved that it was or an attempt to an attempt at insurrection a rather toothless um attempt at it but um but hey that's enough apparently so similar cases have been brought before courts in minnesota and michigan where they were dismissed yeah so um it's interesting that they were dismissed whereas they were held up in the other states it probably has more to do with the um, entrenched bureaucracy in those areas so trump has appealed these decisions in the u.s supreme court a third of which was appointed by trump himself <laughs> which is like you know we've talked about this a couple times on stream where it's like a single president or prime minister can have such long-lasting effects on things and this is you know this is legacy right like he's put all these shitty people in places of power they might side with them they might not uh it does seem like the republican establishment seems to him as a bit of a liability at this point so even though he got these people in they might turn against him but still you know those are like yeah every every republican appointee is um you know, it's pretty, is is one we don't need. So he's lodged these appeals and the Supreme Court has agreed to hear the arguments in the case, um, starting from early February, February the 8th. And the court is under a tight deadline to make a decision as primary ballots must go to print ahead of the March 5th primary election. So they've got to print out all the ballots with all the names on them and everything like that. So, while a common sense reading of the text added to the Constitution after the American Civil War to prevent former members of the Confederacy from holding uh, U.S. office suggests that Trump is indeed ineligible, it's expected that his lawyers will attempt to convince the court of a narrower, more technical interpretation. One possible basis for the argument holds that because the amendment does not explicitly name the office of the presidency, only their electors it does not apply to a former president so it's like they're trying to like 
figure out any little kind of loophole angle, which is like, that's what the American system is all about, right? You know, this like common sense reading comes secondary to like, how good are our lawyers at like finding holes in this? This is only one of several court cases a former president is currently embroiled in. There's four other criminal cases with a whopping 91 felony counts have been brought against him, including business fraud in New York State and federal election interference in Washington, D.C. In addition, a civil defamation case brought by journalist E. Jean Carroll, who won another civil suit against Trump last year when a New York court determined the former president was liable for sexual assault against her starts later this month. So it's like all of these different cases coming out all around the same time. It's, um, It's pretty wild. It has seemed like for a while nothing could stick to him, you know? Like he's done so much stuff over the years. Even before being president, he's just just commands such vast uh, wealth that he was able to pay his way out of basically anything, lawyer his way out sort of thing. So it's interesting to see all the stuff coming to a head now. If he does manage to get back on the ballots, a lot of those cases probably, like all of those, um, the charges against him are probably just going to get thrown out or he'll find some way of <laughs> of getting out of them, you know, Uh so it would be, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with these appeals and what happens with um, if any other states decide to do anything. Pretty wild time in his life at the moment. But um, a little further afield, Mule, do you want to tell us what's happening in Myanmar? Actually, it's not I that do. far afield for me, for no. everyone else. <laughs> Definitely from the USA. It's uh, yeah. quite a world away. But uh, yeah, so uh, this next bit is about the Myanmar junta uh, and how they suffered a significant well, they suffered significant losses uh, to autonomous rebel groups. Um, this is uh, very interesting news. We've spoken about the uh, rebel groups in Myanmar, um, uh, I think maybe once or twice when we did the, um, I think it was, I think it was weapon liberation or gun liberation where we were talking about 3D printed guns uh, because there were a lot of like uh, uh, rebel groups in, in Myanmar who were, uh, you know, using 3d printed guns uh, and it's very interesting how they were how they were doing that um but there are lots of different rebel groups there are lots of different autonomous rebel groups uh, as the headline of this uh, our news piece on it implies uh, but the military junta currently in charge of Myanmar have ceded control of uh, Lokai the capital city of Kokand self uh, sorry Kokang self administered zone to the three brotherhood alliance comprising rebel combatants from the MNDAA the Taang National Liberation Army and the Arakan Army. Myanmar has an, had a near constant struggle for democracy and peace since it became independent from Britain in 1948. As always, uh, we are still seeing the pain and suffering caused by colonialism uh, in the modern times. Uh, it's it's just like the same story in every single. If you if you hear about like a struggle for uh, democracy, if you hear about something in the imperial periphery that is related to uh, you know an oppressed people uh, trying to get you know their their you know, their ship back, like, you know, their land back, their, uh, their autonomy, their agency. Uh, it's, it's nine times out of 10 because of colonialism, uh, past colonialism or current ne- neo-colonialism depends, uh, on, on the country really. But anyway, uh, I digress a little, but with nearly five decades of non-consecutive military rule, uh, they've gone through a transition toward parliamentary democracy in the 2010s. Uh, but the military have always retained significant political power there. The country has been under the rule of the military junta, no 
known as the Tatmadaw since their forces deposed Aung San Suu Kyi and the National League for Democracy in 2021. There are various factions throughout Myanmar, but the Three Brotherhood Alliance is one of the largest groups in the rebel side of the conflict. They first formed in 2019 to, op- to oppose the Rohingya genocide being carried out by the military allied with Buddhist extremists. Uh, on December the 7th, Kokang Media claimed that Ong Za Lin, Brigadier General for the Tatmadaw in the region, had been killed by the MDNA- uh, MDNAA. The Tatmadaw has not confirmed this, but if true, would be the first general to be killed by the rebel forces since the Junta took over. Um, if you want any sort of, uh, 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 I guess, like extracurricular learning about this Popular Front, our boys at Popular Front, always very, very cool to uh, uh, promote them. And, and uh, you know, we always give them a shout out, but go check out Popular Front. They've always got videos uh, or at least information and articles about what's going on in Myanmar. They, they do some reporting on the ground there. Uh, as far as I'm aware, anyway, uh, that might not be uh, particularly true for Myanmar, but I know they do a lot of it in uh, uh, all over the world. Um, but yeah, very, very interesting in terms of like, uh, the kind of stuff that you hear going on, like even in like, uh, this news article that I've been reading, uh, pre-reading this story, the, the actual, uh, news article is from a journalist, um, a news outlet called the Irrawaddy. Um, and there's lots of different pictures in this of like, well, I say lots of different pictures. There's pictures of, of rebel, uh, forces seizing, places like they're posing where in places that they've seized and they've also like you know got like a captured lieutenant colonel uh in one of the pictures and they have like a bunch of ammunition and guns that they've just like stolen from the military like at this point they don't even need to be 3d printing guns because they got all the fucking weaponry from uh you know the military that they've been fighting and, and, and winning against essentially so it's like a really interesting development uh in terms of like how well they're doing like when when i whenever i look at popular front about myanmar in particular it's always like you know, there's been there's been a massive victory for rebel forces. There's been a massive victory for rebel forces. It doesn't really seem like the junta is going to last, um, you know, much much more longer. To be honest, uh, in in my particular opinion, might be wrong about that, uh, but I'm very hopeful for uh, uh, you know how uh, how things are gonna are gonna turn out over there essentially. But uh, as AP, Associated Press, reports, uh, the city's fall to the alliance is the biggest in a series of defeats suffered by Myanmar's military government since the offensive was launched, underlining the pressure it is under as battles as it battles pro-democracy guerrillas and other ethnic minority armed groups uh, across the country. Um, yeah, that's another thing that should be like really, really emphasized is that like a lot of the rebel groups are, of course, like, you know, they want, they, they just want democracy, um, you know, which is like a left-wing idea. We don't know like the specifics of the ideologies of a lot of people, but a lot of them are like, you know, this uh, Associated Press says uh, they are like uh, ethnic minority liberation, uh, um, you know, groups and of course uh, pro-democracy groups uh as well god that reminds me of um the ap um ad that i saw uh the new year's ball drop from the in Times square in, in new york uh because i was watching i was like i was hanging out with a friend for, for new year's and we were like let's do some like normie stuff let's like actually watch this ball drop stuff let's like try mm. to get into it and we were like <laughs> you know like getting into like we love that host we hate that host or whatever and so they had this like ad i must have been cost a fortune uh that ap news did and to the part where they got to Israel, Palestine, 
they show Gaza City. They say Gaza City and they show some stuff for like a second. Then they show a ton of Israel and everyone's sobbing and it's all about hostages, whatever. And then after that, they also show another like clip about Gaza City. And it was very like disproportionate. It was very weird. It was like a little clip of Gaza City. I don't know why they say Gaza City, which is a city inside of the Gaza Strip. Yeah. It was just such a weird, it was such a cringe, like both sides. I think at that point I was just drunk and I just started screaming at the iPad that we had. Like, <laughs> I was like, fuck you. <laughs> just very upset. Um, but yeah, um, they might provide some like good information, but fuck AP. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, uh, uh, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, like, it, it, generally speaking, if, if, if a news outlet, this is kind of how I look at it. If a news outlet, um, might be like biased, uh, right wing or whatever, then yeah, they will actually cry about like true and correct things that have happened. They'll just spin it in a different way. You know, they'll, they'll say that like, like, for example, like the, the biggest thing about, uh, you know, uh, uh the, the genocide happening in Gaza is, is that like, uh, you know, oh, it was all these terrorists and everyone in Gaza is a terrorist and blah, blah, and this that, and the other. And it's like, well, if you're like the Daily Mail saying that, then we just know that they're literally after their liberation. Like, you know, you don't need to, we don't need to, you know, our media literacy has now got to the point where it's like, yeah, if you know the outlets that lie about this stuff, if you know the journalists that, uh, you know, uh, uh, talking shit, then you can just like go, okay, yeah, actually I can still read these uh, 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 yeah. articles, but I actually just know that everything is not true. Like different outlets sort of have their own ways of putting spin on things or different things they like to kind of sensationalize or whatever. So you get to you kind of like tune into the particular flavor of spin, you know, like, um, yeah, you know, like some will like approach like a financial angle or some will like really sensationalize any kind of lurid details or whatever. Like it is a really important thing for media literacy to understand the different kinds of spin that people can put on things, even like, um, you know, like active and passive voice and like, you know, what we've been seeing a lot with, um, you know, like Israel just not being named as like an aggressor. It'll be like, like we were talking about earlier, they'll be like, oh, so many uh, people in Palestine died by gunshot wounds or something like that. Yeah, Israelis are killed and Palestinians die. Yeah, it's just like, who who shot the bullets? Where did the bullets come from? What I've noticed like in this ad, it's very consistent. Like Israelis are killed, Palestinians die, but also Israel is named over and over again, whereas Palestine is typically not named as much. Usually it's Gaza or the territory or West Bank or it's always like fragmenting what is Mm. Palestine. Rarely do they say occupy Palestine to describe Israel. It's like Israel, Israel, Israel to normalize the existence of Israel and to de and to like denormalize what it actually is, which is Palestine. Yeah, the one one um, super wild and egregious um, example of spin that I saw this week. This is kind of getting off tangent. We'll get back to the other stuff, but it's, you know, it, it's funny. Um, so, you know how we were um, talking earlier and I mentioned about how the New Zealand government had kind of thrown its lot in with America and the US and said, like, you know, we, we support these strikes because they are um, affecting international trade and all that kind of stuff. So I think it was the Herald put out like a story, one of their, I don't know if it was like front page, but it was like one of their big ones that was basically like, this is what like Yemeni pirates oh this is this is the effect that Yemeni pirates are going to have on New Zealanders getting their easter eggs on time and it's like <laughs> like wait That's... like 
people are dying, you know? And, um, and it's like deranged. Cause also it's like, okay, well, so are we, are we getting our Easter eggs from Israel? Okay. Are they coming Uh, through the Red Sea in any way? So many things wrong with this because it, like, you know, what is wrong with people? Like, are we really that uncreative that if you don't get, if your kid doesn't get an Easter egg for Christmas, that you can't, like, make a pretend egg, you can't, like, make, I don't know, like, a a, a dessert that's in the shape of an egg or whatever, you know what I mean? You know what this is? This is, this is whiteness. Whiteness erases all culture, all creativity, all ingenuity, and replaces it with like consumer products and Wonder Bread bologna sandwiches. Capitalism, tell me what I need to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a vacuum, right? And then it's just, and then you just have like trends that you do together and go, oh, okay, where we have, we have a trend. It, it, it's 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 nothing. They've truly stolen creativity from literally everyone. Like it's 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 vile. And you don't have to be like actually white to fall victim to this because you just have to live in a in a world dominated by whiteness, which we do. And then all of a sudden, you don't have that specific like Mattel branded item that you wanted to get, and now everything is ruined because you can't conceptualize like what the point of these actual gatherings are. It's not just yeah. to like purchase a plastic product and then hand it to someone they go thank you for the plastic specific plastic product that's like that is so like completely abstracted from like the point of these things you know it reminds me also of like when mr beast (laughs) did that uh did that video where he did like his version of squid game where squid game is an anti-capitalist piece right it's very it's very subversive and he just like copies the suits copies like this like make let's make some like type of you know like elimination game type thing but it completely guts the actual point of what squid game is supposed to be about what it's actually supposed to be critiquing and but because he's such a capitalist because he is such a product of capitalism he ended up just creating almost like a mockery of 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 what it is where he's he's doing a capitalism t- instead of <laughs> doing an anti-capitalism right yeah and i mean that's exactly what we saw with this right where it's like so what is if you you know if you believe in easter if you're doing the kind of christian easter celebration thing what do you what are we doing here where um it's like uh some kind of family celebration based on a fucking a story about a dude that was like you know well it's like easter's like the resurrection right you know it's like a dude from fucking occupied palestine you know celebrating his life you know all this kind of stuff and then it's like it's just being reduced to like oh actually um you can't get your you can't get your little chalky eggs even though you can like it's a lie that you can't you know because there are these, you know, because there's this conflict going in the place where it's like, with thousands of children are being killed. <laughs> like the descendants know? of Jesus are, are being massacred. So you don't get your plastic toy. And you're now you're mad at the descendants of Jesus being massacred because of that. Like, and the, oh, it's wild. Oh, I, um... I want to rip my face off. So it was a news hub that posted the story. They changed the headline on the website, but it's still there on the tweet. And um, yeah, it's it's deranged. It says, how attacks in the Red Sea will impact Easter eggs arriving in NZ. There's a commenter here, a guy I know who's like a union organizer, pointing out that our largest, largest chocolate importing destination for... Um, you know, for the last two years is Australia by 
a huge order of magnitude and followed by China. And it's just like, like Suez, Suez Canal trade for chocolate imports is just not a, a thing. Like this is a desperate way to put spin on the story to make right. people see, you know, these people that are obviously like, you know, Yemen are like one of the only other nations that has meaningfully be able, been able to stand up against Israel, like in the, in this way um they are a small country their main thing is they control this area of the sea that is is vital for trade going into the mediterranean and all that kind of stuff and it's just like that's what they can do and so that's what they're doing to help you know this tiny nation tremendously brave of them to do this and it's as a normal working class person it's like you can understand why that is admirable right oh yeah by the way, we're going to jump into all of this. So maybe we should hold this conversation for then. Yeah, and yeah. I apologize because I kind of got heated there. That was on me. <laughs> That's all right. I, I take responsibility for that. You can't possibly I'll, get as emotional. I'm the only woman on the screen right now. Sure. <laughs> I will take the blame. All you right. Can't, you, you can't get emotional about this stuff. You have to remain logical. I'm and, very hysterical. And to, well, I wasn't going with that angle. What I was saying is that you, if we're going to have a debate about this, I stuff, need to you've calm remain, down. I know you got to calm down. You, you know, if you get emotional, then Sorry. your point just gets missed, uh, and no one can take you seriously because mm. uh, you can't possibly have any kind of an emotional uh, reaction to people risking no. their lives to save other people. Sorry, um, it's not. They don't even make movies about that. There's not even bits in movies where you cry about that stuff it just doesn't happen anyway speaking of actually literally that uh kara tell us about Gaza. yeah the next story me i got this um this entire section is the last a uh, big chunk of news we'll be discussing today like i said we don't have any guests because we're kind of like setting up shop and getting our getting stuff situated for the new year. And also there's, we haven't had done a show in a really long time. So there's a lot to cover. Um, so this next section is about Gaza. Well, the um, Palestine in general, but focusing on Gaza. Um, and it's going to be like a little bit of a longer discussion because I have a lot to go through. Please know that we haven't had a show in a while. And this is not going to be a comprehensive review of everything that's been going on in um, in Palestine and everything that Israel has been doing. This is just going to be touching on some of the stories that I think need to be touched on, but there's like so much to discuss. So please do not take this as comprehensive. Um, okay. So the first thing I want to discuss is Israel killing three Israeli hostages. Now, to be clear, Israeli hostages lives are not more valuable than Palestinian lives, but the because Israel has to take this seriously, because it's Israeli lives and they do value Israeli blood more than Palestinian blood, we get to get we get to have like a glimpse into Israel kind of not holding itself accountable, but the closest we're ever gonna get to Israel holding itself accountable and getting to see like what the actual logic of 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 what they're doing, you know, the, the attacks they're doing to Palestinian civilians. So Israel killed three Israeli hostages trying to escape Hamas captivity. They were shirtless, speaking Hebrew, like yelling Hebrew, and holding white flags of surrender. Details have been really recently released by the IOF, so please take these details with a grain of salt because Israel lies all the time. 
But like I said, because there's really hostages, there is a little bit more of a of a truth that's trying to be sought here as opposed to just being able to lie willy nilly about Palestinians because, you know, they're Israeli. Um, but also recognize that this perspective is it, because it's based in favor of Zionism. You can take everything they're saying as like best case scenario. They're not airy on the side of the other side. Right. They're airy on the side of trying to make themselves look better. So here's kind of like what we know so far. Five days before the hostages were killed, an IOF unit had heard cries of help in a building where they had engaged in a gun battle with fighters. The unit judged the cries to be a ruse and suspecting the building was booby trapped by Hamas, did not search it and instead directed fire from helicopters and tanks towards it. So just already, already just note that. According to the IOF, of course, this is just what they say. So take it with a grain of salt. They heard cries for help. And they decided to shoot at where the cries for help were coming from. Now, imagine if these are Palestinians. They've been trained to do that. Some of the stuff that you hear about, like, IOF soldiers being trained to do. I saw a rabbi uh, in the UK. He was talking. Um, I think it was Middle East Iowa doing the story. And he was talking about how he went to Israel and he spoke to his son who's in the IOF. Um, and... Uh, is literally like saying, oh, um, I spoke to all the soldiers and they were utterly unprepared for everything that they've come across in Gaza, right? And you could take that a couple of ways, right? The way that I am choosing to take it, because I believe it's the most accurate, is that they have been trained to kill civilians and they did not expect a resistance. <laughs> like, that is that is fundamentally what it is. Like, you know, there's, there's been more uh, videos of Hamas soldiers, uh, PFLP soldiers, like Al-Qassam Brigade soldiers, like, uh, attacking our IOF tanks and shit like that, you know? So very, very, uh, 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 just like, very telling. Mm -hmm. um, it, exactly what you said, Kara. Like, they're, they're shooting at people who are saying, help me, because that's kind of, it's not only like ideo ideologically, that's what their, you know, consent is manufactured to, to believe as they grow up as Israelis, um, or even Israelis, uh, as, as, as Jews in the diaspora before they become Israelis, if they're, if they're, you know, uh, migrating there or whatever to, to simply do war crimes. So, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. Um, but yeah, sorry to, uh, no, no, no problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, well, I'll touch on that, uh, what you said in, a little bit later too. Um, so. IOF shoots at this building because they heard cries for help and they killed several Hamas fighters. The military believes, the, I, uh, the Israeli military believes that this attack allowed for the Israeli hostages to escape. So according to a senior officer in the Southern Command, citing an initial probe by the IOF, the incident began after one soldier stationed in a building identified, quote, three suspicious figures exiting a building several dozen meters away. <laughs> I just think it's funny that they think they're very suspicious. Yeah, um, yeah. All three were shirtless, with one of the figures carrying a stick with a makeshift white flag, which is the universal symbol for surrender. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And uh, so attacking someone who is who has a is waving a white flag is like you know considered a a big no a big whoopsie a big a big no no and it should be noted that we have like so many testimonies so much so much so much like footage of israel shooting and killing palestinians holding white flags but people don't seem lots of people don't seem to care about that and lots of people seem to deny it and say you're an anti-semite something something blood libel something something if you claim that but now, because they're Israeli, we have to actually believe it. And yeah, so it's it's true. 
Israel shot at the uh, hostages that were shirtless and holding white flags. Anyways, um, the soldier who believed the men moving toward him was an attempt by Hamas to lure IOF soldiers into a trap. Again, this is according to the IOF. Immediately opened fire and shouted terrorists to the other forces. According to the probe, that soldier killed two of the men, while the third hostage, um, who was hidden wounded, fled back into the building from which he came. At that stage, the commander of the battalion, who was also in the building where the soldier shot from, went outside and called on the forces to halt their fire. Meanwhile, sounds of someone shouting help in Hebrew were heard by the troops in the area. So then, uh, according to the recent IOF probe, 15 minutes elapsed from those two hostages being killed and this last hostage being shot and killed because, or after he was wounded already. So just know that 15 minutes after they, they had 15 minutes to figure out what they're going to do. And this third man comes out of the building and then another soldier open fires and kills him. So, um, also know that a day before they were killed, the military identified signs saying SOS and help three hostages in Hebrew in the area. So there's like all these clues, like like they're being handed, hey, these are hostages, you know, these, at least if you're going to do your ethnic cleansing, at least don't, you know, this is where you should stop doing your ethnic cleansing because these, sure. <laughs> the, these are the people whose blood you think is valuable, yeah, you know? So incompetent, they can't even get ethnic cleansing. Yeah, right. and I think there's like, there is this... Like there's this narrative that they've consistently pushed, and you see a lot of Zionists like talking about it that I don't think has ever been proven. That is like Hamas hides and they pretend to be they pretend to be hostages and they pretend to be you know like innocents and they'll wave a white flag and then they'll kill you and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, is this a chicken before the egg sort of thing where it's like, did they? Everyone's Hamas, they, yeah, yeah. But to them. like, are they are they saying that because? you know, because they've killed hostages and now they're like kind of covering or have they always just said that and now it's like, now they're actually getting soldiers shooting hostages because they're like, oh no, they believed the propaganda or whatever, you know? Like, yeah, well, yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's difficult to to tell, but I think like with this current campaign, at least, I think there's probably one massive communication from the top alongside the just fucking kill all Palestinians in Gaza. Uh, and I think that is, do not let, any propaganda about Palestinians get out of Gaza. So if they see a hostage, they see an opportunity for Hamas to be like, you know, well, the, you know, the hostage to communicate on Hamas's behalf or any other group, by the way, because we're all constantly forced to talk about it as if it's Hamas, but forgetting that the PFLP exists, the Al-Qassam brigades, uh, you know, multiple organizations, whatever, any Palestinian uh, group that is represented by uh, the, the, you know, the hostages leaving, they're going to be able to say, oh, actually, no, they gave us food. And even though it wasn't a lot, like we were allowed to bathe and we had medical supplies, etc. You know, so I think it's going to be one of those. It's, it goes in the same kind of line as to the reporting that we're hearing from, um, you know, various different sources in Gaza at the moment, which is that, uh, you know, when they're, when they're getting Palestinians out of, I don't know, whatever building they've seized, they're, they're immediately confiscating their phones. And that's the main thing because then no one can film stuff. No one can film it. They can't put it on Twitter. They can't put it on Instagram. They can't send it to someone uh, and they can report on it because, well, they've got an international court, uh, 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 you know, case to, to to deal with. So, And we're going to talk about that later too. So, cool. yeah. So just to close this story out, um, what, uh, what uh, this next, this next part of the story, just like, 
floors me. The battalion commander, after this is after all three were killed, the battalion commander then realized that the appearance of the third man was unusual as he had a quote unquote Western appearance. And this is referring to the blonde or not blonde, excuse me, redhead, pale skin Israeli. Um, it, and then it was revealed that this man was an Israeli hostage. According to Sari Bashi, Human Rights Watch program director, um, which, by the way, I'm not a huge fan of the Human Rights Watch, but they do have some good perspectives from time to time. Um, under the laws of war, people are presumed to be civilians. There needs to be strong information to suggest that they are not before you can kill them. But she pointed out that Israel opened fire on the hostages nearly immediately and that they were only concerned with the fact that they had killed civilians because they were Israeli. So if you have ever doubted that Israel enthusiastically fires upon unarmed Palestinian civilians, the IOF has firing upon three shirtless unarmed hostages holding white flags should thoroughly convince you. This is a this is a solid proof of principle, proof of proof of concept that Israel is guaranteed to be very capable and very enthusiastically capable, in fact, of firing upon unarmed civilians that are visibly unarmed, not just, oh, we later on discovered, visibly unarmed holding a white flag of surrender. Um, and the fact that the three, the deaths of three settlers is being so heavily investigated when tens of thousands of Palestinians have been slaughtered and are continued to be slaughtered, including children, medical staff, journalists, is pure racism. Yeah, I think as well, like the only the only charitable read that you can give of this, of maybe the IOF making a mistake, is because they have been so unprepared for like ambush attacks by by Palestinian resistance. But even then it's like so completely it's such a reach to be able to say that. It's such a reach that there's no way that they could argue it, you know? Yeah, I mean like we can we can we can speculate on as to the like the intent of the mindset of the IOF, which doesn't have a mind, but, you know, has people running it or the mindset of the of the average Israeli soldier, so and so forth. But at the end of the day, if you are an organization that's finding that your soldiers are killing civilians, which they have been and this has been thoroughly documented and you have a obligation, not just morally, but legally to pull them out and to stop. But Israel hasn't done that. They've just continued. So, like, even if this is like, oh, the is Israel is incompetent, it, like, sure, they could be, but they are still making a, a definite decision to continue weaponizing that incompetence. Yeah. When and Palestinian civilians have to suffer the repercussions of that. Um. Yeah. So Yad, Yagi Levy is an expert on military, uh, civil military studies at the Open University of Israel, and told the Times that the Friendly fire rate among Israeli soldiers is at an unprecedented level, with an estimated 20% of killings of Israeli soldiers being done by fellow IOF members. So more on that incompetence. Like, I, I don't want to chalk all, all of what Israel is up to incompetence. There's obviously a very directed genocidal intent and execution occurring. But they are also very much an incompetent uh, uh, military. And I, I I absolutely agree with what you're saying, Mule, about how the IOF kind of like pumps itself up as like being the best and most awesomest, you know, military ever because they're always bullying children. They're always bullying unarmed, like, like 
extremely impoverished, like people living in concentration camps or otherwise, you know, being terrorized by West Bank settlers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in a deeply asymmetrical scenario, deeply asymmetrical. So now that we're seeing, um, now that we're seeing like the IOF actually interacting with Hamas, like, you know, head to head, which I don't believe has ever really happened before. No, I don't think this has no. ever happened before. Usually it's always rocket fire out of Gaza yeah. to Israel. There's never been like an actual like on the ground combat. That could be mistaken, but I don't believe there has been. Yeah, I definitely don't think to this scale. I think there have been like skirmishes and stuff in like the various like smaller like you know, like short wars um, over the years, but this is like definitely unprecedented in terms of this conflict. So yeah, it, it's, um, I think it's a mix. It's, it's incompetence, but also how much is your incompetence affects your ability to drop a bomb on a neighborhood? Oh yeah. yeah but it's like, I, I mean, so. it's like one of the core things about the, um, the IDF is that it's, it's an occupying force. It's a, it's a bully army. It's not a, it's not an actual combat army they they're not trained or equipped to deal with a like a guerrilla force um you know especially like you know like the people of gaza have lived there their entire lives they know how everything works they've got like the the home team advantage and um and i mean like yeah there is like completely just like like some of israel's decisions like to send in like the unaccompanied tanks and things like that is just like just things that no one would ever do just like ridiculous military decisions um because like you know even like a lot of the higher ups in the the IDF aren't like they're just people that have been like in the military for a long time being bullies right. you know they're not like really like people that have like you know they're not like particularly well trained the 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 idf uh relies on a myth of being like you know this really powerful really elite kind of fighting force but every time every time the idf and even like Mossad have been engaged in like actual kind of operations outside of israel they embarrass themselves you know it's the same like the propaganda machine that um is kind of that tells us everything about life in Israel is also kind of blowing up the idea of, you know, Mossad and as of the IDF as things much greater, more powerful and better equipped than they actually are. Well, I mean, like, so they're really well equipped in terms of the quality and like the, you know, the capabilities of their weapons and equipment, but it's just not, um, it's not really useful for the kind of fight that they're in at the moment, you know, it's, yeah, it's very, mm -hmm. um, it's, yeah, it's very smooth brain military tactics. Mm -hmm. but, uh, also the, you know, the, the, that is compounded by the fact that the, the reports, and this is a report from the, the Jewish Institute of, uh, sorry, Jewish Institute for National Security Affairs. So this is like, you know, uh, the, I believe supports Israel. I might be wrong in that, but I'm fairly certain that this is the case. Uh, and they talk about the fact that the rate of IDF soldiers, well, IOF soldiers killed or fatally wounded is roughly 2.53 soldiers per day. Now, I have a feeling because of the way that 
institutions and the state of Israel itself likes to exaggerate things, um, I imagine the actual number is probably very much higher than that. Um, you know, they're just not, they're not good at this stuff. Like they're not, they're not expecting like, you know, I think we spoke about this, uh, on, on the show previously, but they're not expecting literal call of duty, 360, no scope, you know, Palestinians jumping out of fucking tunnels and like blowing up their tanks. It's actually like incredibly like brave, courageous and skillful. The stuff that I've seen, uh, you know, from those particular videos. So, you know, it's just, I disagree uh, that it's brave and courageous because I don't advocate for terrorism. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's important to mention that while I think it's brave and courageous, I would never support terrorists. Terrorists are bad and wrong. Uh, and terrorists are whoever the white people who run my country say they are. Mm. So. Who our Lord and Savior Joe Biden doesn't like. Yes. Thank you, Joe Biden, friend of the show. Uh, we'll move on to the next uh, piece. And it's more about the IOF. Systemic Israeli theft by the IOF is occurring in Palestinian civilians' homes. Uh, the Euromed Human Rights Monitor published a report at the end of December showing that amid the ongoing genocide that Israel is perpetrating against uh, Palestinians in Gaza and in the West Bank, for the record, that's also genocide, but uh, it's far more obviously occurring in, in Gaza. Systemic Israeli theft is occurring in um, Palestinian civilian homes. Israeli soldiers are stealing from Palestinians in, in Gaza, including laptops, gold, large quantities of cash, and an estimate of tens of millions of dollars. Now, remember, Gaza is one of the poorest spots on the entire planet, and it is being looted by one of the most the most lucrative, like richest the the asymmetry here is 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 stark um a, an a, an already thieving entity already stealing their land stealing their people stealing their resources and now straight up going into their homes and stealing the precious items that they have um in fact israel soldiers themselves have published videos on social media platforms documenting their deliberate sabotage of civilian homes in the gaza strip spraying of racist Zionist slogans on walls, and now, in addition, bragging about seizing Palestinians' money and valuable possessions. And I wanted uh, to read uh, some of the testimonies from this article to give you a, a feel for what we're talking about. A woman named Om Mohammed Garbia, who lives in the Al-Shujaya neighborhood east of Gaza City, told the Euromed Monitor team that the Israeli forces forcibly took her gold jewelry after violently breaking into her family's house earlier this month. Her husband and oldest son were also arrested during the raid. Now, Israel wants to, one of the reasons that Israel's stealing so many Palestinians is in retaliation to the Hamas-led um, negotiations to do a hostage exchange, which is like the point of one of the biggest reasons for the Al-Aqsa flood is to release all the Palestinians from, from the illegal uh, occupying prisons that they are being held hostage in. So in retaliation to any of these Palestinian hostages being released in exchange for Israeli hostages, Pal or Israel is now abducting far more Palestinians that have ever been that they have released in the past few months um, to to re-up and to you know punish and for whatever gen other genocidal reasons that Israel has. I don't know. I'm not a Zionist. You know, whatever horrible reasons they have. So in addition to stealing her her gold, uh, uh, Mohammed Garbia, Garbia's gold, they also stole her her family. 
And Aliyah Al-Najjar, 34, affirmed that some of her gold jewelry, which she had previously kept with her mother's belongings, in one of the videos uh, published by Israeli soldiers, she recognized some of this gold in one of those videos. Among the items she saw in the video was a bracelet she had purchased with her first teaching salary, which was a unique 24-karat gold leaf-shaped piece. Remember, Gaza is one of the poorest spots on the entire planet. She said in the video clip that an Israeli soldier displays her bracelet inside Al-Najjar mother's purse, which also shows other gold pieces and cherished family items. Another Israeli soldier appears in a video clip showing off a silver necklace that said made in Gaza and promising to give it to his girlfriend. And I can tell you that I've seen so many of these videos where these Israeli soldiers are stealing from Palestinians and then talking about how they're going to give this to their girlfriend or they propose to their girlfriend on top of rubble or with explosions in the background of bombed houses. It's 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 vile, vile shit. Um so he's promised to give this to his girlfriend, and an additional show- footage shows a different soldier carrying a guitar, and presumably stolen, singing above the debris of demolished homes in the Gaza Strip. Now, it should be noted that the demolished homes in the Gaza Strip are not just horrific because they represent the, the uh, genocidal demolition of infrastructure, not only because they represent the massacre of Palestinians, but also because... At least 7,000 Palestinians right now are trapped under the rubble, many of them dead, many of them dying. So it's very, very plausible that at the time this person was singing above these debris with what is probably a stolen guitar, because I doubt they brought it out there. Um, there are Palestinians in the process of dying trapped under this rubble and that this person is literally singing on their graves as they die. Like this is this is the caliber of of vile that we're talking about it's here. It's just like it's so bizarre that they are consistently uploading these videos. There was one that I just saw earlier today of um an IDF soldier filming a room full of um uh, Palestinian people blindfolded on their knees, pointing and laughing as this one guy was like pissing his pants. And it's like this is this is a war crime right here. Like what you're doing. This is posting about this is deranged. Like you have to be so sick to do this. And um yeah, you know, and like just like kind of the the comments talking about I think like the the title was something like, you know, Hamas animal pisses his pants or some shit like that. You know, so it's like this, it's so dehumanizing. It's um yeah, it's bizarre. And it's like, oh. and I mean, like, you know, like this, the case in ICJ that we're probably going to get to a little bit later on is just full of the stuff. Like there's so much evidence that has been entered that is like literally just like Israeli people and their own words, their own deeds, their own footage just being presented, you know, like uh, without commentary. It's, it's deranged. Well, everything has like its flip side, right? Like to the extent that Israel has been sniffing its own farts for the past fucking 75 years and, and completely deluding itself with the idea that they're the best, most moral army in the world and they have the most right to do whatever they want and that Arabs are scum and so on and so forth. Yeah. That as much as that is a disgusting existence, as much as that harms tremendously Palestinians and Arabs as well, um, like like Arabs surrounding Israel, 
there also is a flip side in that it creates such a magnificent amount of hubris that they are actually so disconnected from the actual humanity that they post their genocide online to brag. And that's what we'll talk about later. A lot of what the ICJ trial at, um uh, prompted by South Africa is actually taken advantage of because they're so arrogant and so deluded and so full of themselves and completely disconnected from how the rest of humanity looks upon that as clearly genocidal, right? Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's wild then seeing, yeah, the um, the Israeli defense for it as well was just mm-hmm. like. So. <laughs> we'll good we'll we'll get into that we'll get into that yeah yeah um so the next piece i i, I like to uh, close off that last uh part about the theft um with this is clearly a genocide like everything i've told you should very clearly point to it as a genocide this is not a war hamas is not a military gaza is not a state this is a genocide upon the palestinian people and it directed a directed uh um like execution of not only the people, but the infrastructure and any sort of possessions accumulated tiny bit of wealth that any Palestinian might have. So there is an alleged, alleged Israeli drone strike in the suburb of Beirut, Lebanon, and it killed a top Hamas leader, Sheikh Saleh al-Arui and three others. This will undoubtedly provoke a strong reaction from Hezbollah, which is uh, a group from Lebanon, this means major es- escalation. If you have been paying attention to Israel's bombardment of Gaza, you know that Israel hasn't really earned any significant military wins in Gaza, like we were discussing earlier. They haven't learned any significant wins against the Palestinian resistance. They're just demolishing entire neighborhoods. They're they're murdering families. They're extincting certain families, in fact. Like, so many family trees have been completely wiped off the, the civil registry, They've been staking their Israeli flags and in, in demolished blocks, but they actually haven't incurred many significant military um, wins a- a- against the Palestinian resistance. So many believe that this this drone strike, which Israel, I think, denies, but I think we can all bet is Israel, is Israel's attempt to like overcompensating attempt to try to safe face and get something out of this, right? To, to win something over Hamas. Um, so note that this drone strike against Sheikh Saleh al-Arui is significant for a couple reasons. One, for the fast, past few months during the entire, um, you know, war on Gaza that Israel has initiated, Hezbollah has been firing upon a southern, excuse me, Southern Southern Lebanon has been firing upon northern Palestine, northern occupied Palestine, aka Israel, because Israel has been firing at them. And is and also Hezbollah has been retaliating against uh, the IOF because the IOF is massacring Palestinians. So there has been fire between southern Lebanon, where Hezbollah is firing into uh, occupied Palestine, and also back and forth there but there has never been any firing into like the heart of lebanon and so with this drone strike israel well alleged israel has fired not only into central lebanon but the capital of lebanon so this is a major escalation both geographically and also symbolically also know 
that let, let's dig into it a little bit of who Saleh al-Arui is. Saleh al-Arui is a senior Hamas official and was a key figure in the coronation of the resistance axis. Now, the resistance axis, which we've I think we've probably talked about it before. It's a pretty important um, uh, kind of coalition. It's an informal coalition uh, led by Iran, and it includes lots of it. it inc- basically, it's a coalition of 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 groups and states that are anti-West, anti-Israel. It includes uh, like Syria, it includes uh, Hezbollah and Lebanon, and includes a multitude of Palestinian resistance groups, including Hamas. So Saleh al-Arui kind of uh, was a key figure in coordinating all that. And so as a result, he became close with Iran's Quds Force commanders, um, including Qasem Soleimani, which we'll talk about in a second. So um, there are some people that believe that because of the trail of assassinations that have been occurring that there are some people that are on the hit list next so keep an eye out if Saeed Azadi ends up dead in the next few weeks because that is more confirmation for this particular trend so um some important links the assassination of Saleh al-Arui comes barely a week after the killing in Damascus which is the capital of Syria of Iran's most influential military commander in Levant Saeed Radi Musavi was assassinated in a suspected another suspected Israeli airstrike in the suburb of Sayyida Zainab. Informed observers view the killing of Musavi um, is on par with the U.S. killing of former Quds Force commander Qasem Soleimani and Israel's targeting of late Hezbollah military chief Imad Mujnayeh. So Al-Arui was killed on the eve. This is a lot of information. I apologize, but try to bear with me. Al-Arui was killed on the eve of the fourth anniversary of Qasem Qasem Soleimani's assassination by the U.S. So just a quick reminder, Qasem Soleimani was a extremely popular guy in Iran, uh, was a top, top general in Iran. Um, some, Some consider him the second most popular man in all of Iran. And Trump ordered his assassination four years ago, almost exactly four years ago, in fact. So on the eve of the fourth anniversary of Qasem Soleimani, who was friends with Saleh al-Arui, al-Arui was killed by what appears to be an Israeli attack. And then the very next day was Qasem Qasem Soleimani's uh, memorial, four-year memorial. And then there was two terrorist attacks in Iran that killed a ton of civilians and wounded a lot more. So like more than, I don't know what the number is right now, but I believe the last I checked was like more than 91 were uh, Iranian civilians were killed, 173 wounded. And these are coronary terror attacks commemorating um, Gossam Soleimani. These were two explosions that took place in different rows leading up to the cemetery 10 minutes apart. Now, Palestinian resistance groups, many of them come out, came out and said that these attacks bear the fingerprints of Zionists. ISIS has come forward and claimed responsibility for the attacks. The United States accepts that, that claim, and so does Iran. So if Iran says it, and Amer- and the United States you know, these are completely two very, very different. <laughs> these are very diametrically opposed forces that both agree. But I will say that um, the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps uh, commander in chief, Major General Hossein Salami, while confirming the role of ISIS in these attacks, 
laid the ultimate responsibility on Israel and in the U.S., saying they, ISIS, can only act as agents and mercenaries of the Amer- of America and Zionism. And I will note that that ISIS isn't really attacking the United States or Israel. So, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if any of you have any uh, comments on that, but we can move on to the next uh, story. But that, but it's it's really important to take note of like these these like grotesque assassinations that are occurring, infringing upon the sovereignty of these states that should not be infringed upon by these arrogant ass forces that think they can do whatever they want, you know, to brown people effectively. Just basically operating with full kind of impunity. Yeah, because like they have always done that, right? Or they just or they just you know, go to another group into doing it that they can point and be like, it wasn't us, it was them, yeah. which is a very, very tried and true Western tradition. It's just like more and more evidence compounding the fact that um, Israel can, if they want to, target specific individuals uh, that they associate oh, yeah, yeah. with Hamas, right? It's legitimately like more proof that if they wanted to, they could target a guy or a group of guys rather than just like, oh, we had to bomb that hospital because the mass was underneath it. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, these are surgical attacks like inside suburbs that are target doing targeted killings. Um, so yeah, they absolutely do have the capacity to hold, have some sort of level of restraints. But, you know. So yeah, this is also another piece to like the further escalating and in heightening tensions between the West and the axis of resistance, including Hezbollah, including Iran. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. It is always the case. Like when, when you speak to um, either Jewish or Israeli people, like, you know, who are talking about this stuff in opposition to what Israel is doing, like I'm I'm thinking like of um Avi Schleim and um uh Norman Finkelstein and uh, uh Ilan Pape, you know, these kinds of people. Like uh they do always tend to like draw people's attention when they're discussing Palestine and when they're discussing the way that uh Israel operates. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people, a lot of scholars are always like pointing out the fact that Israel is actually constantly um taunting other regions uh they're constantly uh you know going for other countries and going like are we are we going to go to war with iran next are we going to go to war with uh lebanon next you know who who are we next going to go to war with and bb himself has presented to the un this map of greater israel which is like you know not only an area that includes includes like jordan and everything like that yeah yeah, you know, these, these huge, like, huge swaths of land, like, even, like, going into Egypt, going into Sudan, like, you know, the, the, it, it's it's about capitalism, it's about imperialism, it always has been, always will be, uh, you know, so it's just something, again, like, more and more evidence. If, if you're not already convinced, if you're watching our show and you're not convinced, I don't know, you must be new here, I don't know, but, like, you know, this is just more and more evidence that they're just not, uh, 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 you know actually doing the thing that they say they're doing you know they're they're, they're consistently trying to uh start more wars with nations that they just don't like it is amazing to 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 because i run a mute list on blue sky to for zionists it's called like zionist scum and so i'm always like looking into zionist timelines and like liberal timelines which zionists let's face it um and trying to you know figure out should this person be added or not and and then also just kind of seeing patterns you end up seeing patterns no if you look at that much filth and like one of the patterns I've seen is people that just seem to like always 
they just seem to magically just forget everything that Israel has done that to to provoke all of this. Their memory starts at like October 7th and then magically also just fails through even after October 7th, but uh, but but their memory also can't include all of these provocations. Like it's not just in it's not just in Palestine. It's also outside of Palestine and other Arab countries. And like they're like, why do all these Arab countries just hate Jewish people? They're always attacking Israel. I'm like, motherfucker, they just went they just in the capital of Lebanon assassinated, like in a suburb of Lebanon, are just like drone striking people. Like, are you serious right now? Really? Like, like how are you not? Like just you have to understand this isn't just like oh woe is me I'm just a little small bean just getting attacked yeah, by these yeah. evil Arabs or whatever like this is not at all what's happening and it, it happens all over the world like um there's been a couple times that um uh, Mossad agents have been caught in New Zealand just doing stuff that is like just really weird you know like uh there was uh I think there was like two of them that got killed in the Christchurch earthquake and then a um a team, a Mossad team were found sneaking into the restricted zone after the earthquake to recover um, the bodies of these people that had died. But they had like, it was like a duffel bag full of like passports and it was like stolen New Zealand passports and stuff like that. And they were totally unauthorized to be there. Uh, The New Zealand SAS found them in there and um, like, you know, basically, kind of like arrested them and confronted them. And then our prime minister at the time, John Key went, Oh, actually it's fine guys. And just let them go. It's like something very weird was happening there. Right. Like why do they, yeah. Why do they have a bunch of passports of people that died in the, um, the earthquake and stuff? It was just like, just weird stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like what's going on here. I saw a, a, a an ex Mossad agent. I can't remember what his name is for the life of me. Um, who was talking about things that he witnessed in the USA, like, cause he was, he was stationed in the US. Um, and there was like an organization and I don't want to, I don't want to say what it is because I can't remember what it is, but it's, it's got a, a definitively Hebrew name. I, I know that much. And, um, they would basically report an individual who was getting, as he puts it, too loud, uh, to, to, this particular organization that they're getting too loud about Palestine and, and they would report them to this uh, org and then they would go to all the papers, have a bunch of stuff. And that org was the ADL. No, 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 it wasn't the ADL. It was a similar one though. Joke, and because because really. what they did, no, 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 because what they did was exactly the same as the ADL and they would like, you know, tell the newspapers, oh, this person's being anti-Semitic. So, you know, and they would do everything to basically like, uh, get that person arrested so they could run a news story about it and be like terrorist, anti-Semitic Nazi says X, Y, Z about uh, Jewish people. But really what they were doing was they were talking about Israel and stuff. Mossad, like, ex-Mossad agents have like so much, like so many stories, like especially if they like literally got to like the point where they were like, I can't torture people anymore. Like I, I just can't do it. Like, of course they've done horrible things, but like, you know, talking about this stuff, afterwards is actually extremely valuable because they're the kind of people who say some of the worst shit they 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 say look we did this stuff we did this stuff and it's completely fucked um but yeah very interesting so let's move on to the next uh piece on palestine the Biden administration continues its unrestricted funding of the israeli war including sidestepping congress twice in december so recall 
this is not going to be a long story, this part, because it's just just recall that the liberal excuse for Biden's enabling of Israel and for Biden's inaction in, in stopping further bloodshed is because he his hands are tied. You know, he has to follow the law. He's not a tyrant, not like Trump, not like the orange man. He has to follow procedure. Right. That's why we love him. He needs to go through the proper channels. We liberals love proper channels, except, I guess, when it comes to killing brown people, because Biden just willy nilly will just sidestep the law in order to provide more funding to Israel and also to provide a no strings attached, like you don't have to explain yourself access to American weapons, which also leads me to the next story um, even more sidestepping without congressional approval, breaching the U.S. Constitution, Biden executes 16 strikes on Yemeni territory, including the capital of Yemen in retaliation against the Houthis prohibiting shipping through the Red Sea because the Houthis are uh, engaging in strategic opposition against Israel's war on Gaza. It should be noted that the Houthis have killed a total of zero people in their attacks against shipping transit and instead of simply forced transit that would normally arrive through the Red Sea to divert all the way around Africa. Like, so I wish I had a map. Red Sea? Yeah. No. Oh, uh, wait. So all the way down around. Like, wait, which way is this? Yeah, all the way down yeah. around. So they, they have to complete. It's a huge diversion. It's like a massive yeah. diversion. Then they have to go all the way around an entire continent um, instead of just going up the Red Sea. And this is severe around the Cape of Good Hope. And this has severely delayed the shipping times of these companies and is bleeding them of money. The price of container shipping from Asia to Europe has already increased by between 175 to 250%. Yeah. Well, so um, one thing that I think is really interesting, right, is that this this cost increase and this reason why people are, you know, not wanting to send ships through there and why it's so big for them is because it's an insurance increase, right? Like, no one is wanting to insure ships that go through that. Originally, it was just insurance on Israeli-bound vessels went way up, and then it went up for everybody, and, you know, like, people stopped wanting to insure Israeli-bound vessels, all this kind of stuff like that. And this is literally, like, Lloyd's of London, uh, the reason that, like, well, a large part of the reason why these strikes happen. And this isn't the first time that, you know, that, like, uh, international conflict, like a big war has happened because of these big finance groups, like yeah, particularly Lloyd's of London. Like this goes back to like, you know, like the the East Indian trading company and everything like that, where it's like, it's all about like shipping, insurance rates, finance, all this kind of stuff. And it's um like, I mean, the real thing is, it's like, like that's, that's what is really affecting them the most, right? Like, cause it's, it's interfering with capital, you know? And it's like, that's the real, like, that's the pain that the empire feels, right? Um, which I think is really interesting. And also kind of like goes back to what we're talking about, how it's like, there's all this kind of like idea about ideals and religion and all this kind of stuff like that and freedom and liberty and all this kind of stuff. It's like, it's just 
it's just money. It's just vast swaths of, of resources and capital and, yep. you know, like interest rates and things right. like that. Yeah. So, um, which is why what the Houthis are doing is very, it's very that's smart. It's so effective. It's very effective. Um, I should note that the, the Houthis have said that they're only targeting ships linked to Israel and not with the aim of seizing or sinking them, but rather with the aim of changing their course to increase the cost to Israel as a pressure car to stop its aggression and to allow food, medicine and fuel to enter Gaza. These are their actual words. Well, and we yeah, have to bomb like, them for that, obviously. Yeah, like, yeah, that's, yeah, right. That's the appropriate response. Even the uh, what they're calling, they're saying like you know they're they're pirates and all this kind of stuff. It's like no, they are they're allowed to invo- enforce the borders of their their territory at sea, just like anyone else's, just like New Zealand does when you know, like when whaling ships come down into our territory, everything like that. You're allowed Tim. to say no. no but brown people can't back. have things. That's not for yeah. them. Would you say they have the right to defend themselves? <laughs> Yeah, exactly right <laughs> you know but, um, yeah and like yeah it's like absolutely wild that it's you know people are getting away with the piracy thing um and even then it's like pirates are cool yeah like, what the hell what are you doing <laughs> like you That's just handed them back. if you're trying to make them look less cool you're not doing it dude yeah stop it or do you keep doing it? I don't give a fuck. Whatever. <laughs> this is a they 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 desperately want to invoke the idea of Somali pirates um, because yeah, exactly. they they've already been dehumanized in in like what was that film where they take over the ship? Oh, with Tom Hanks, Captain Captain, whatever, yeah, whatever. Uh, you Somali, know. Somalians are black, and and you know this crowd is associating any. Anything bad associated with like what's the most racialized group they can think of? Oh, black people yeah. from yeah, Somalia. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, like the Somalian pirate thing is super interesting as well. We might even actually that could be a good thing to cover in a separate separate episode on stream. But the idea of Somalian piracy and what it actually is is like totally different things. And like the re- there's a reason why they're out there doing that and it's like and it's it's base it's very similar to the reason why yemen are, are protecting their own well you know like um policing their own waters in this way yeah somalia um, have also been famously like yemen uh bombed to fuck absolutely like the us yeah. and the uk yeah and um they've seen all these other countries from all around the world exploit their territory and you know and obviously they said actually no like this is enough um but yeah you know and so uh so it's affected it's affected the bottom line that's why they're going to war but like kira was saying they haven't killed anyone there's been no deaths if you watch the videos that the houthis have put out of them taking these ships they're super fast operations they know what they're doing no shots are fired people are you know it's 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 safe for everyone involved and then they they talk to the crew and they say like hey look we're not here to hurt you guys we're not you know we're not here to harm you or scare you or anything like that you know basically similar to the videos that we've seen of um hamas with the hostages and or like the reports from released hostages saying that you know they were sharing space with you know their their captors and talking to them and building relationships with them in the same way where they say it's not about you as an individual it's about you know like what's happening here and um 
yeah yeah and i think that that kind of that kind of thing is like there's a reason why they're not putting that stuff in the newspapers there's a reason why people aren't showing those videos because it's like it's pretty hard to argue with you know and Mm. especially when you consider it it's like okay this isn't this isn't a war of freedom versus you know like whatever like barbarism or whatever Netanyahu wants to say or whatever like this is this is global capital and its interests versus like just normal poor people you know I think the underdog story is pretty pretty hard to pretty hard for people to um to get behind so that's why they frame them as you know like evil pirates evil terrorists whatever you know <laughs> so I just want to say a few more things about this particular route. So the Red Sea shipping Red Sea shipping line through the Suez Canal is the shortest, cheapest and most effective way to connect Asia and Africa to Europe from the Mediterranean. Every company that uses this route has been directly affected by these Houthi attacks. And here's the thing. Because of the way that the supply chain works, even small delays have the ability to mess it all up. The global supply chain tends to work on a just-in-time basis, meaning that every element in that supply chain arrives just as it's ready to join the production line. So it's it's very much like a process that needs all the pieces to work in, in unison, you know, on schedule. Any delay will affect every link in the manufacturing chain, leading to delays and massive costs. So don't be surprised if your prices of your products increase. It'd be very interesting to see. I mean, it would suck, but like, I think some things are a little more important, right? The fact that these, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's incredible, let me tell you, to see all the liberals who have clearly shown that they find the contents of a shipping container more valuable than Palestinian lives. It's it's disgusting and astounding, but you know, at the end of the day, I don't think anyone's surprised. It's just horrifying there, to are see. Are there Easter eggs in those shipping containers? <laughs> Are they cream-filled eggs? Because I don't know. Yeah. So solidarity with the people of Yemen. And the last story we have. South Africa takes Israel to The Hague, the ICJ. Finally! Yay! Yay! (laughs) Um, South Africa's landmark case against Israel for its war on Gaza began on Thursday in the International Court of Justice, the ICJ, based in The Hague. South Africa is accusing Israel of committing the crime of genocide in breach of the 1948 Genocide Convention. And so uh, we actually watched that on my stream. We watched the entire thing because the BBC didn't air it. They only aired Israel's response. And I'm sure they weren't the only um, media outlet that pulled that bullshit. Like, what are they responding to? Yeah. I mean, let's let's face it. The BBC is a product of the Tories. It's managed by Tories. It's uh, you know, it's it's extremely. I mean, the UK has already shown its its hand in this, right? No one's. It's not like what does the UK think of Israel? This is also. It's also a you know because it's not. It's not only what UK thinks of Israel. It's also what the UK still thinks about South Africa. Because let's face it, you oh. know, we were very much supportive of of uh, apartheid in South Africa, like. Margaret Thatcher was one of the biggest proponents calling Nelson Mandela a terrorist. Uh, her legacy lives on in, in, in the BBC, you know? Mm, I didn't even think about that angle. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so um, Adila Hassim was one of the advocates representing South Africa, and she did a fantastic job. She laid out basically a five-point attack against Israel 
substantiating why Israel is, in fact, you know, guilty of the crime of genocide. So here are the five things she said. One, mass killing of Palestinians. She said the first genocidal act is the mass killing of Palestinians in Gaza. And she showed the court pictures of mass graves where bodies were buried, often unidentified. She said that Israel has deployed highly destructive 2000 pound bombs in parts of Gaza that is itself declared at that that Israel itself has declared these spots safe, still dropping these bombs on these so-called safe areas. More than 1800 families have lost multiple family members, while some families do not have any survivors left and completely have been wiped off the map forever. That means grandparents, parents children, grandchildren, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, every single member of their family has been completely wiped out. And this has been hundreds of Palestinian family trees completely wiped out, never to be seen again. No one has been spared, not babies, and especially not children. So that's the first point. Second point, bodily and mental harm. Is She said, Israel's infliction of serious mental and bodily harm on the people of Gaza uh, is the second genocidal act. Close to 60,000 people have been wounded and maimed, most of them women and children, in a place where the health system has collapsed. She cited the arrests of large numbers of Palestinians, including children who were undressed and loaded onto trucks, blindfolded to unknown locations, oftentimes separated from their, you know, separated from their families. The suffering of the Palestinian people, physical and mental, is undeniable, she said. If you've seen any of these images, they're horrendous. It's ISIS shit. It's straight up fucking ISIS shit, what they're doing. Oh, I, I could go on, but I could do want to get through this list. Um, but it's it's really hard to watch, especially when it's children being stripped and then blindfolded, and then who knows what happens to them. And we know, by the way, that Israel has raped so many Palestinians and continues to do so There's right now. like a huge history of this going back like decades and decades yeah. of um and it's like even like sexual abuse from Israel to Palestinians and even within the IDF within their own ranks it's like yeah it's like it's wild and it's well, like <clears throat> yeah. there's something I want to there's something I want to mention which is like I, I actually have inferred it on a past stream um sort of with the caveat of like uh no i'm not going to talk about this because it's low-hanging fruit uh but israel has a huge child sex abuse problem absolutely fucking oh, yeah, yeah. like outrageously so you know why they do well well i i don't know why us, I, 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 you know I would, you I'm, sure, I'm sure you can tell us but it's it's a There's lot of a very obvious like materialist reason for this yeah well a lot of it is is they they bring like uh you know people who are, are either jewish or have converted to judaism who have done sexual assault like child sexual assault in the u.s to literally escape their crimes and then they come and then it, it obviously just happens in israel as well but go on yeah i'm i'm all ears because they they are jewish and so they basically have supremacy regardless of they what they've the, done the, the right, right to return regardless yeah the right to, yeah, quote yeah. unquote whatever they call it right to return but let's face it um yeah. but also you know israel is first and foremost trying to create an ethno-nationalist uh apartheid state and so it's going to welcome in anyone who could fulfill that need regardless right. of how many people it harms of course and so yeah it's course. rampant chat like the pedophilia problem is rampant but also there's actually also moves within the government to try to loosen the laws of consent as well and it's really disgusting yes that's true
The third um, points against Israel, what South Africa presented as part of their five points uh, plan, attack, uh, attack as to why Israel is committing genocide is forced displacement and food blockade. Hassim said that Israel has deliberately imposed conditions that cannot sustain life and that are calculated to bring about the destruction of Gaza through its forced displacement of most of the population. Hassim said thousands of families have been displaced multiple times. And by the way, I've seen videos of children having to be displaced yet again, just sobbing as they're trying to like carry what they can. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Half a million now have no homes to return to half a million. She cited how Israel gave entire hospitals orders to evacuate within 24 hours with no assistance in moving the injured, moving medical supplies. This includes people in intensive care. This includes includes premature babies and incubators. It did the same with large parts of northern Gaza, where more than one million people are asked to move at short notice. If you all recall, in the the beginning of this entire fucking monstrosity um they basically told half of the country move down to the southern half in in a day you have a day hasim said that the order itself was genocidal regardless of what happened the order itself genocidal she also said that israel's blockaded food and water from the strip causing widespread hunger and restricting the movement of aid workers to distribute that aid there's no safe water to drink to clean and to cook and that disease cases, including diarrhea, are soaring. And by the way, diarrhea is very dangerous because it causes dehydration. And also it's extremely, uh, it's extremely, it's extremely, uh, what's the, I can't, I'm an epidemiologist. I can't think of the word. It spreads very easily, transmissible. It's very transmissible because of the nature of like how diarrhea is. It's just, it, trust me, take my word for it, okay? It, it can transmit very well, very effectively. So you have a population that is chronically dehydrated, both from a lack of fluids, but also because they're expelling fluids at a, at, at a rate that their body shouldn't. Um, and not to say who knows about how their body is coping with injuries, with all the adrenaline, stress, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so more Palestinians may die from hunger and disease um, compared to like the actual attacks by Israel. Like more, we could see more people, more Palestinians die from that than than actual bombs. Yet the siege continues. Point four, this is why Israel is committing genocide. Destruction of the healthcare system. Israel's assault on Gaza's healthcare system renders life there unsustainable. Gaza's healthcare is already crippled by years of attack by Israel, she said. And now it is simply unable to cope with the sheer number of injured people who need life-saving treatment. And every everyone here knows that Israel has been targeting hospitals. Not just ho- hospitals in Gaza, by the way. They also target hospitals in the West Bank. Like the IOF will either attack them or they will just park their, their truck in front of the driveway so no one can get in or out. Um, they've also been attacking health healthcare centers in southern Lebanon. So this is this is very on brand for them, unfortunately, but it's genocide <laughs> as well. And the last reason that uh, she gave as to why Israel is, in fact, committing genocide against Palestinians is Israel's preventing Palestinian births. Israel is blocking life saving treatment needed to deliver babies. This, she added, amounts to preventing births in Gaza. And this is an act of genocide. And by the way, I believe she cited like 180 women a day are giving birth in Gaza. 
and are like, so many of these women require medical care because of complications and they just don't have access to it. Not to mention giving birth in filth, giving birth in famine and no, no fluids available, bombs overhead. Like there's so many babies that are days old that are being killed. And it's, <laughs> this is not, this is not a, a situation that is conducive to children living beyond day one or their mothers surviving the labor. Um, Sassim also cited Reem al-Salem, which is a UN special rapporteur on violence against women and girls, who had earlier warned that the, quote, reproductive violence inflicted by Israel on Palestinian women, newborn babies, infants, and children could be qualified as acts of genocide, end quote. Now, I didn't watch the Israel uh, response. I heard about it. I heard it's horrific. I heard it's painful to watch. And that uh, they just try to blame, uh, they try to blame Hamas over and over and over again, which this is doesn't have anything to do with Hamas. It, it doesn't matter if Hamas is actually committing a genocide, which they are absolutely not. But let's pretend, let's go there. Let's go, let's just be as obnoxious as we can be. Hamas is committing genocide, which is not even remotely what's happening. Does that justify it? Also, a genocide being being there. There's no justification. So even if you want to like, take the most cartoonishly outlandish uh, uh, reality that Israel's trying desperately to pitch, it still doesn't justify genocide. In fact, over and over and over again, South Africa uh, tested. There is no justification for genocide. It is an unconditional wrong. Period. Well, yeah. There's um. There's some interesting um things like. It's it's wild how every like uh, so both kind of groups had prepared their kind of their arguments whatever right then South Africa went first and then Israel went the next day and everything that Israel had said had basically already been unpacked by the South African team the day before so it was like pretty futile which and it's like that's why it sucks that no one's you know no one really reported on what. South Africa was saying, well, not the big media outlets anyway. Like they were bringing up things like, um, you know, they, one of their first main things was uh, the right to self-defense. You know, they were saying, you know, like we we have a right to defend ourselves, all this kind of stuff like that. But um, South Africa actually spent a lot of time talking about how under international law, um, there is like, you can't claim self-defense against an area that you're occupying because you're the uh you're the aggressor in that situation you know you're already applying violence to this place so their acts could be self-defense but yours are not right um you know and just stuff like they were saying like (laughs) they were like writing off like there was so many footage and like accounts that south africa had of um of high-ranking israeli officials talking about you know basically uh giving a genocidal intent so things where they were saying like we are going to kill them all we're going to you know erase them we're going to destroy gaza all that kind of stuff and they were kind of just like you can't just take some random screenshots and pretend that that is reflective of the state or whatever whereas you know like south africa had already kind of pointed out that this is you know these are high-ranking officials they are all consistent with each other like all of this kind of stuff you know so it's kind of like yeah it's um it is like the israeli defense was a mess like it was just like 
not it wasn't consistent and it wasn't well thought out they they hadn't anticipated any of the things like they hadn't meaningfully anticipated and kind of like defended themselves against any of these arguments or anything um yeah it was it was totally just um yeah like it it was like flailing right like it was like them just lashing out like they were they kept bringing up like identity politics saying that they were a victim of identity politics and things like that it's like (laughs) Like, are you they're like the real? final boss of liberalism honestly <laughs> they were like saying that it was like this kind of like you know this cultural zeitgeist of like identity politics and cancel culture and stuff like that and it's just like are you like like what oh, are you like you're, you're deranged well i saw uh, i saw uh, an interview with uh christian guru murphy who is a uh channel four news uh anchor and uh he's famous for being like quite like antagonistic in his questioning uh he's done it with jeremy corbyn on anti-semitism you know he's done the whole like round and stuff like that but he actually did it with uh i think it was the 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 british israeli ambassador i might be wrong but it was it was a certain israeli official anyway uh and he was talking about like well you know south africa's case is quite interesting actually you know why did netanyahu refer to uh amalek the the biblical reference of amalek why did he do that uh, and the ambassador's response was no that's just something that all israeli people would understand basically admitting that it was a dog whistle like with for for, for all intents and purposes it's like no he just said something he knew the israeli people would understand it's not genocide it's not genocide it's like it's oh cultural okay reference to genocide yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that you know krista gurumurthy for his faults he was you know pressing him on this and saying no but the, but the reference is about genocide it's about committing a genocide so how is it anything other than a genocide and and you know the 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 responses from the ambassador was was pretty funny um so yeah i think you can watch that i think the middle east i did a, a a piece on that but i i'm not sure if channel four will actually um broadcast it or a clip of it because it's uh uh you know state state owned state controlled publicly owned uh but when it you know publicly owned things at the moment are not very publicly owned they're more privately owned but yeah so that was an interesting one to see um but that is that is again like all the you know there's that famous bit where uh well it's famous i say it's famous but it's like something that happened literally two days ago where uh was his name malcolm i forget his name malcolm clark or something uh some someone from like britain or scotland or something who was like representing israel uh and uh there was like a bit where he was about to say um oh yeah all of this is a consistent attack upon israel and then he goes He's like looking through all of his stuff and he goes, Oh, right, yeah. someone shuffled my papers actually. You know, like, oh, yeah, what, who, Hamas? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw a funny clip of that where it's like they see him like a couple, like, oh, it's like 20 seconds earlier and he's like shuffling his papers. And then it's like 20 seconds later. Did he like, start coughing or something weird? Like, hit a coughing yeah. fit and people were like, What the hell is going on? Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't doing well. He wasn't. So yeah. I heard, and I can't substantiate this with the, with anything because I haven't. I'm just haven't looked into it. It's probably true though. I heard that Germany is going to pick up the the baton now because of oh, how yeah, yeah, badly yeah. the fucking Israel Israeli lawyer flailed. That now yeah. Germany, because they fucking love genocide so much, I guess, is going to show up and and try to be They're the like, new not lawyer, I guess, us, buddies. or at least assist in some way. Yeah. Which amazing. Fuck Germany, Jesus Christ. Germany decided to step into the court and be like, yeah, we're on this. You know, like they're basically, um, yeah, arguing back against the case that South Africa have made themselves. But um, yeah, yeah, it's wild. Uh, Germany obviously have a history 
And um, as we Am I not right like, in thinking that the International Court of Justice and the Genocide Act was created because of something that Germany did? I might be wrong. Which they but, haven't, but they have yet to actually reckon with. Germany yes. has yet to reckon, truly reckon with their past. There is like a weird kind of like internalized like thing. Like in German, German ideology, like I guess like kind of like state ideology around this, like the kind of the way that they they teach kids about it the things that they say and all this kind of stuff is very like very strange and i think um we're probably going to see a lot of people really deeply analyzing that over the coming years because the way that they have engaged with this whole thing is bizarre it's important to also mention that like german just german people like german leftists german liberals like i know there's definitely some base germans out there i know there are i've seen them i've spoke to them but like overwhelmingly so you know you get these quote-unquote anti-fascist german organizations where they are pro-zionist and it's like Mm. well i don't I, i i question how good you are at identifying fascism, actually, if you think that Zionism is not fascism, you know? Yeah, well, I think it's like a lot of these, there are a lot of like more liberal um, uh, Antifa groups that engage with fascism as if it is just interpersonal racism or things like that, you know? Like, they'll be like, we're anti-fascist, don't say mean things about, you know, Jewish people or whatever like that. And it's like, yeah, okay, correct. Don't say that. But like criticizing the state of Israel is not that, you know, like, yeah. Um, Can I just say it's super cringe to see like anarchist aesthetics next to like Zionist like advocacy. I hate it. It gives the most like dad punk kind of like, (laughs) like, "Ah, I'm the real badass. Like, conservative punk punk type beat. Yeah. It's uh, just so bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's wild, but yeah, I I think that, um, that's going to be something that a lot of people are going to start analyzing a little bit closer in the future. I know some people already have like, um, you know, like I know people that have done, you know, like they've gone to university and their whole thesis has been about like German, like post-war German response to kind of, you know, like Israel and like all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of wild stuff going on there. So, um, yeah, wild. Anyway, um, I was on Twitter for just a bit today and it seems that what people are trying to do in order to discredit South Africa in some way uh, is by saying that South Africa is genociding white people. Oh yeah. I've seen a lot of this as well. Yeah. Some wild. Okay. Can I say this is one of my favorite Zionisms. (laughs) It is a Zionism. It really is. Yeah. Is we're not committing genocide, but everything that is in genocide is genocide. Like they're going around saying every group, Every group that is like upset and and like opposed and even maybe taking action against Zionism is committing genocide. But the actual genocide is not genocide. And so it creates this like incredible moment where they cannot explain themselves for the life of them. They just start like they just keep barking out things to try to like be like, I don't engage with trolls. This yeah. is not like I. No one takes you seriously. You lefties are all the same. They'll just say things like that, but they'll never actually engage with the absurd reality where, yeah. where like Hamas is a genocidal group, but Israel is not committing a genocide. Like, make it make sense. Yeah. Well, what's really funny is they have this sort of it's 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 an anti-fascist ideology, right? The ideology being 
Nazis use violence, therefore we must use violence uh, against Nazis in order to protect people, right? But they're 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 recuperating that massive, uh, you know, leftist language. There, it's a huge recuperation of leftist language. But what's really funny, I think, to me about that whole situation is that the kind of people who would attack anti-fascists for wanting to protect people with violence, uh, you know, against fascists, um, they they are sticking up for Israel, doing the same thing, apparently, uh, which in their mind should make them just as bad as, as fascists. Uh, but of course, it depends, doesn't it? It, it? That kind of absurd argument just uh, depends on uh, uh, who you're actually defending and you can utilize it any way you want, actually. It turns out, um, yeah, satire is dead. Uh, <laughs> ideology is, is is the original sin. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say for the record that I'm opposed to all violence and any okay. all the time. Okay. Even violent yes. sports, I'm against them. Don't do yes. that. No. Now, take, how about you that. take up some golf? That's a nice sport. Um, and also, I would I would vote right now if you gave me a ballot. Right now, I would vote. I would vote right in front of you. I just don't oh, have a ballot so in front of me. So. Voting against the violence party. Yeah, I'm against the violence party of violence. If I had money, I would donate it to the Democrats. That's how I would, I would sign vote. that petition. So hard. <laughs> yeah, that's my whole Gaza uh, Palestine bit, by the way. So um, yeah, the end. Well, so we were talking earlier before the stream about what our goals, our activism or our that kind of political goals for this year might be. Yeah, I kind of I kind of like very haphazardly at the very late stage in, in the game today suggested that this would be a good thing to sort of uh, cap off the stream and talk about. But um, I essentially wanted this to be like a, a discussion about um, what we've learned from the last year and how we intend to use the things that we've learned from last year going forward this year. Um, because of course, like, you know, progress is not a straight line. It's, you know, very, um, you know, has lots of peaks and troughs um, and you can still be making a lot of progress even very if bisexual. you are in. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. uh, why why do there have to be two things? There can be more than two things. You can like more than one thing. Uh, I am bisexual Palestine, obviously. Um, so, you know, th- that's it. Um, but no, as I was saying, uh, in all seriousness, uh, the, the yeah, I think it's really important because, you know, the, uh, the one thing, I mean, I'll start by, you know, sort of anecdotally explaining my activism. Uh, one particular thing, for example, actually, that I think is very, um, really important to, to talk about um, is recognizing when you, you and your organization do not have the uh, capacity or the resources to do the thing that you want to do. Um, and we've we've experienced this, uh, uh, you know, with with transformative justice, um, particularly. It's it's very very difficult. Um, you know, there's, there's been orgs that I've been a part of that have like engaged in, uh, transformative justice, um, you know, basically procedures to, to make sure that, you know, there's, there's a disagreement, there's a conflict between two people. Uh, there have been transgressions, there have been accusations, et cetera. Um, and because of the, you know, initial sort of like pervade evidence, the initial sort of like lack of evidence per se, it's been very difficult to, for people to make a decision. And even if we were going to make a decision, we wouldn't want to like punish anyone. And what, something that I've particularly found out 
as as a result of this like going down a road where actually you don't want to like expel someone from an organization because of their behavior you don't want to uh get rid of someone because of uh you know you, you don't want you don't want to make a judgment on on anything because you know we're trying to live by our own values right we're trying to like do our own thing and uh the sad reality of that is that when people hurt people it seems to be more often than not because they're enabled to by the society that we live in and that either means that they've been hurt so much by society that they want to hurt others because they think that that's the only way they can get revenge for what's happened to them in their life or conversely they are um you know, they, they win the lottery being born white and, you know, therefore they're hurting people. They, you know, society tells them that they can do that. Uh, and that's that kind of thing, you know? And these, these are things that like one grassroots org or two or three grassroots orgs, even, uh, you know, with very minimal funding, you know, you cannot destroy the structures that have made people like that in a day for certain, or even in a year, even in two or three years. And, uh, you know, also, like, if you were to do that, the healing that that would be uh, required, right? The healing that would be required in order to heal those people who have hurt people and also the people who have been hurt um, is 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 still vast work. And, and that is, like, largely unexplored by uh, a lot of different organizations and activists. So it's it's really, like, that's sort of, like, one area that, like, I can certainly say that I've learned from um, if, and, and, and I think that I would like recommend everybody that if you found like a, a not necessarily a niche, but if you found a, a type of organizing or activism that you've slotted into quite well and that you think serves you quite well, you're getting knowledgeable about it, etc. I think that just like very much focusing on that is, is gotta be key. I think that like, it's not necessarily getting distracted and being bad to try and do good things that you also believe in but you have to really think about like what you're trying to do and basically not running before you can walk for one of a better expression like you don't really want to like you know um try to do these big ideas um if you're just like a small organization like it's 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 actually absurd just how relevant this is even to like a a a small conflict with with two people that has no basis in material reality right it, it it's just like something where some people disagree and in some cases you're just going to find that some people just don't like each other um and there's not really a lot that you can do about that like you can mediate as much as possible uh but really fundamentally like you know if if this kind of like relationship is impeding on the actual material work that you do as an organization you gotta like maybe push the authoritarianism button a little bit like you just got to give it a little push and just be like yeah we got <laughs> you know like we're, we're not doing any dispute handling because this process has gone on for too long and you gotta be uh, gotta be stalin pushing the guy off the boat that's it little... <laughs> i would like to say that i condemn everything that mule just said for the yes, record that's fine <laughs> I think that's appropriate, actually. And I'm against yeah. violence and terrorism for the record. You are, well. aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's something I've learned from last year. Um, and I think that going forward, um, it's got to be like, it, it really has to be like for me this year, like a, just a focus on, um, you know, one thing kind of thing. And that is like, you know, growing tenant power, building tenant power with the union. Um 
And again, like, I, I think if I, I want to reiterate this to anyone listening, like, if, if you're thinking like, oh, well, you know, like, there's, there's housing issues, but there's so much more like, yeah, no, absolutely, of course there is. But I think that for me personally, housing is such a, um, you know, um, a, 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 an actual like intersectional thing, like some of the most vulnerable people in housing are the most marginalized in our society. So if you want anti-racist work, housing is that. If you want queer liberation work, housing is that. If you want feminism, housing is that. Like it, it, it's all the inter- the intersections are all there for this like, you know, particular issue. Um, and it's my genuine belief actually, because, you know, I've experienced living in properties like where you just like rent for a period and then you, you know, you leave and you have to leave because you've been evicted or you, you just leave because, you know, you, the rent's too high or whatever. Like having gone from like that to also like living in, in places for a long time, the places where you live for a long time are, you know, you're able to do so much more, like not just on yourself, but also in your local community. Like you 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 get to know your neighbors, you get to know your community, you get to know like um, actually the, the materialism that is going on in your area. Like, you know, why are people struggling? Like, is it because they can't get to their job because there's no public transport links, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Things start to get very like, um, you know, I guess uh, they present themselves differently because you have a lot more time to spend in that area. You have a lot more time to like sit and think and put down roots really, you know, like when you put down roots, you, you develop deep relationships with people, um, you know, like your neighbors, like, like I was just saying, for example, and, and those roots can go so deep that like, maybe that's a friend for life. And maybe that friend is going to go through something um, that you didn't expect them to go through. Like, you know, maybe that person uh, comes out, and you know you, that's something that you've never experienced before and you you know uh that challenges you to like learn how to support someone who's coming out or like maybe that person you know uh gets evicted and you have to support them through that you know there's anything that could happen um through like you know knowing people and putting down roots and so i think that like by trying to get everybody a house to live in like everybody who uh you know if everybody is able to just like have a house, I just genuinely believe that like the world would be so much better. And I think that we would have a lot more capacity to do a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, that's me. That's me. Uh, I think that's how I'm going to go forward. Like, I know it's ridiculous. Like, yeah, I was focusing on housing last year, uh, but I did have kind of, I think going into last year, I did have these like big ideas of like, um, I'm going to start an LGBT union. Like that was something I wanted to, do i was i was like yeah I, or at least i can like tell people about it and they can start it um but you know that's like a huge amount of work and you know <laughs> if 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 i can at the very least start the queer caucus in my union then i think that's that's good enough for now you know well that's like a stepping stone right like yeah, yeah like you kind of have to be reasonable and understand your own kind of limitations on like time and resources otherwise you just wouldn't get anything done you know if you i think like we've talked a bit about it before about with any kind of any kind of org or anything like that if you're working with you should have your eyes on like the far down the road like you should be like okay the eventual goal of our organization is like you know like whether it's like um housing reform prison abolition you know, like global revolution, whatever like that. It's like, you should have this long goal, but you have to set achievable goals to get there, right? Like, so if you set one of your goals too big, you're 
going to risk just not doing anything. Whereas like, if you're just taking these little steps at a time, you can, you know, you're going to, every step you take is something that you've done and something that you're like, you're moving closer to that goal. But uh, yeah, if the, if the goals are too big and insurmountable, then you don't end up taking the small steps either, you know? So uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty, pretty good way of thinking about it. Um, but yeah, gigantic, very epic and based answer, Mule. Um, what about you, Kara? Have you got anything in mind for the year? I think you should start with a small goal of unmuting your microphone. <laughs> Him, that was absolutely <laughs> the most cruel thing you've ever done, boys. <laughs> well, actually, you gave me a gift because I just achieved a goal in 2024. So Hell yeah. Just ticking them off already. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. Let's fucking do this. Um, so I will unmute my mic like I just did. Also, um, tried to figure out how to move forward given that Twitch has banned me for terrorism. <laughs> it keeps I don't know why that's such a it's such a fun thing to say. Like it's it's like I don't want to be banned for terrorism, but it's an <laughs> absurd sentence and I just kind of it's like it's a ridiculous. circus comes out of your mouth. It was Twitch banned me for terrorism. Grouping white men. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, moving forward with that trying to take a little bit more initiative for the like in, in some ways this is a little bit of a blessing in disguise because i have been very like i really hate this industry i hate like youtube i hate twitch i hate all of these i just hate what this like content creation industry is because it creates so much harm it creates so much waste it's reacting to reactions and like soy face thumbnails and everything is just upping itself with clickbait and all it it doesn't feel like it's producing anything for me it feels like a very it just feels like a like a, like a ridiculous jenga forever of 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 absurdity that is that is for profit right and so it's kind of like really upset me, but I, I I am still in this industry because I believe in what I'm doing and I believe in saying what I'm saying. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be able to make income from it and be able to pay my bills with it. Thanks to my chat. So this upcoming year, I kind of want to, since I'm forced to now contend with YouTube, which I normally don't deal with it, I actually want to start to take this a little more seriously and actually start to play the game a tiny bit as much as it pains me in a way that hopefully will still be consistent with my values and won't be too painful but um that's more of like a professional goal as a personal goal i i want to this sounds sounds really corny i want to be more of me so like I'm always kind of dodging me and like distracting me from me and and not trying to come to terms with me, but also trying to like recreate me. And a lot of me has been a recreation because I have a shitty political like my my history politically is I've had a contributed to a lot of bigotry and like like, a, you know, had some really shitty, like, centrist, scummy opinions and and harm people, right? So a lot of these past few years has been me very taking that very seriously in an effort to try to do better and actually, instead of just, like, nullifying my harm that I've committed, actually try to be, like, a beacon for something good and actually create something 
you know, safe community and be able to, you know, just, just do the little that I can in, in this world. But a lot of that has been like something that I've been doing out of shame and it's still an avoidance of me. And so this upcoming year, I I kind of want to try to do things that are more of me. And I don't really know what that looks like yet. But I know that because I'm saying it and because it's something that scares me, that it's something important for me to look into. So in any way that I can do that, that's that's my plan for 2024. And what about you, Tim? Um, yeah, I feel like my goals for this year i feel like especially towards the end of last year i feel i started kind of um like i because i do i do think for a while i kind of lost steam with um because i've like historically done a lot of like artwork and things for different groups and causes and things for like you know, like events and charities and things like that. And I feel like there was like a point where maybe my my artwork and like that kind of side of me kind of got divorced from the political kind of stuff or whatever. And then I feel like last year, it's kind of like late last year, it kind of started converging again. And I feel like um, that's definitely like something that I want to be, you know, because you want to like you know we always talk about like everyone's everyone's got a job on the commune or something like that you know and I feel like um there's I have this like as well as my like you know like platform that I have through um you know doing like the stuff on with Red Planet and like on Twitter and stuff like that I also like you know have been reasonably successful as like a tattooist and an artist and stuff like that and I kind of want to like you know, like I want to join because even though like through my professional kind of like Instagram for my tattooing and art and stuff like that, I am like vocally political on there, but I'm not really like putting out so much like political artwork that I would say that is like very like confrontational or whatever. And I feel like I look at like artists, I'm not sure if anyone is familiar with um, like Michael DeForge, who's been uh, an artist and like a comic book guy for like years. And he's always just like his politics permeate his artwork. Like it's all throughout there. And he's always doing stuff for various groups and community groups and this kind of stuff. And he's like, also the guy on the front line getting arrested, you know, like that kind of stuff. And I feel like I really look up to him as an example of an artist that is actually about it, you know? And um, yeah, I really want to kind of figure out ways that I can not just use my, I guess, like artistic skills and ability, but also the platform that I have through that to um, kind of, you know, like, I guess, like push outward, (laughs) (laughs) that kind of stuff so that's really my kind of what I'm thinking about for this year is to really be um I guess just and I think that kind of ties into being a more authentic self as well and I think that um there is being a commercial artist you do often compartmentalize like or like shave off this the sharp edges in order to further commodify yourself because you got to pay bills right you know but um then i have realized that the more 
vocal I get and the more, you know, like the people that I'm tattooing and all that kind of stuff are more like people that get it, you know, or like they agree with me and all this kind of stuff. And I've actually found that despite initial hesitations, it's probably even ended up like a net benefit for me in terms of like actually getting clients and stuff. Not that that's like what it's about, you know, but I feel would feel like anyone out there that is thinking about the same things. I think like you should just go ahead and do it because um, you're probably wrong and you'll probably end up being better off. Even if you're just, you know, more happier with yourself for being more open about that stuff. So um. Yeah, like Eli Valley, someone is saying in the chat, like he's another one who has just like always been about it and been very, um, yeah, very open and very um, like, and I would say like aggressive politically as well. You know, like I don't just, like I don't really see the point in kind of like going halfway, you know, like you really kind of got to be making bold statements with, especially when it comes to art and stuff. So yes, that's where I'm at. That's awesome. Um, so would this art be tattoos or other mediums? Well, I mean, like also, you know, like I do a lot of like stuff like like poster design and illustration mm-hmm. and things like that. But I'm, I really do want to actually like, and I mean, I like, I guess like a lot of my tattooing is political in a way, especially like, you know, any of like the kind of, I guess, like I do a lot of, aside from like actual traditional Maori tattooing, I do do stuff that is like, I guess, like decolonial in and and um content but um i i i'm thinking particularly more in like um you know just kind of like i like the idea of um being able to flood the internet with provocative political artwork you know because it's just like another form of propaganda you know and i think that the more people that are doing that the better like not just pictures you know like pictures that are saying something and that there is like you know and I don't mean just like saying something in a way like, oh, this makes me feel happy or sad. Not that there's anything wrong with like vibes kind of based thing, but it's like artwork with an intention to like propaganda to, you know. Yeah. A message that can't be like recuperated by capitalism yeah, yeah. to be like, this means love for everybody. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, why yeah. we, yeah, know, yeah, some horrible message. <laughs> like it is a hard thing, but um, yeah, but that's kind of, that's kind of what I've been thinking about a lot lately, but um, yeah, that's our homework for this week to think about and um, kind of consolidate uh, a, a goal for yourself uh, politically to, well, yeah, just anything that's kind of like related to your politics or your vision of the world. Um, you figure it out. And then if it's a big goal, set small achievable kind of steps to get there Um. And just try and uh, try and work through that over the year. That's what I think. Uh, that's what I think would be some good homework. Tim, I think that's a great idea. And do you know what else is a great idea? Going to the Red Planet Patreon and giving us money. Because wow, could you believe it? There's a Red Planet Patreon, and uh, we I have. I can't a believe producer- it. Can- I don't I believe can't. you. I've never even... You're lying. I, this is Again. new information to me. I, I'm always lying. This is true. But no, this is definitely real. It's just happened. I've seen it. 
Um, and we have a Red Planet Patreon. So, yeah, uh, we have an amazing producer who works behind the scenes. He's called Conrad. We love him very much. Uh, and he makes the show, uh, he's made the show like so much better last year. This year, yeah. this is the first stream uh, and it's already fucking amazing. And that's mainly because, mainly because it's even better this year, mainly because we also have an editor uh, because uh, we also hit a Patreon goal last year, which means that we get to hire an editor. So keep an eye out for some Red Planet clips coming up in the future. And just in general, a uh, much better edited, uh, you know, no offense, Conrad, you did your best. Uh, but, you know, much <laughs> much better editor, uh, edited uh, 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 VOD that you'll find on the, on the YouTube just, just channel. Just to be clear, uh conrad does an amazing job but it's conrad a does a really handle. good job no i think no i don't want to i don't want to no I, i'm, yeah, not, I'm yeah. not one to mince words I, I i think he was no he did great i'm joking obviously yeah. um yeah no so uh yeah so we have some amazing uh people on the team now and i'm very excited to see what kind of stuff comes out of the ed- editor and of course conrad is going to be able to use his now free time to make the show even better than it already was which is already amazing so that's absolutely incredible but it doesn't mean that you know, you, you, we, we still don't need more cash from you. Uh, so just think about that uh, when you're donating to, you know, I don't know, uh, going and getting a, I don't know, people getting McDonald's, like you should be boycotting them. Instead of getting a McDonald's, you should give the money to Red Planet. Uh, you know, give us all the money that you would give to the Democrats in a past life when you were less based. Um, so, um, yeah, but there's loads of different ways that you can support us. And I'm going to go through those with my co-hosts, uh, now. Um, and yeah, those are, I've definitely got them on the stream right in front of me. I, I, sh- I definitely haven't forgotten them, even though we do this every stream, uh, every, every, every episode. Uh, but the first one, yeah, the first, the first one I'm going to tell you about it. It's Sprite, it's Sprite mode. Uh, and you can, you can get on Sprite mode with just $2 a month, uh, or £2.50 a month. I think it's not even showing up in my, in my country. You can get on Sprite mode. Yeah. It's $3.50 New Zealand. I'm going to say, what is it? it's like two, two, two pounds. Two pounds fifty. Yeah. Two pounds, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can get started with your support for Red Planet by becoming a Sprite. Benefits include the sacred and forbidden knowledge that you are helping the Red Planet team, early access to VODs, access to the Red Planet Discord. Uh, and by the way, just for listeners of the show, you access this by going to patreon.com forward slash red underscore planet. Should have mentioned that before I started talking about it, but that's okay because you know what uh, Tim's going to do now? He's going to tell you about the next tier. Cool. Well, the next tier up is Goblin Mode. So that's uh, 10 US dollars, uh, $17.50 in New Zealand dollars, something else in pounds. and uh, £8.50. £8.50. It is £8.50. That's there right. <laughs> and everyone loves a goblin. We all get a little goblin mode from time to time. Complete your gobology by going goblin mode with everything from Sprite mode, a pack of cool Red Planet stickers for you to stick in legal places and only in places like that, access to exclusive Red Planet Discord hangouts. And um, yeah, so what we mean by that is Sprite mode gets you into our Discord where there's like different channels. You can chat about all that kind of stuff. But the Discord hangouts are a thing that we do like every now and then we'll just do like a private kind of hangout. It won't be streamed. It'll just be like same kind of thing like this, but offline, well, still online, but not on stream and um, with like a private chat and we'll just do something like we'll watch a movie, a documentary, a TV show or something like that. We've even 
kind of talked about having like gaming streams um which would be fun that might happen um so yeah so that's fun what about what's the next tier kira oh thanks for asking it's beats mode for twenty dollars a month or yeah it says 15 pound a month i think that's right i just did a quick conversion yeah well um 34 50 new zealand dollars okay well holy shit are you actually gonna go beast mode well then we can offer you all the stuff from the lower tiers and pin badges yep pin badges wear your excellent new red planet pin badge literally everywhere it is completely cool and good to do well since mule just got up oh never mind he's now mule just showed the pin badges to the to the screen excellent there we go thank you mule oh there it is look at those beautiful pins speaking uh, speaking of uh tim designed our logo yeah we're talking about art and then yeah queer resistance queer existence is resistance uh Yeah, that's totally out of focus on Mule's that's camera. Right. But um, he did his best. Yeah, cool. So you can um you can uh check those out. Um Conrad runs the web store through Mercenary Creative. We can grab the uh t shirts and the badges and everything as well as getting them from the um getting them from our Patreon tier. Um but yeah, uh Mule. so but if you're, you are you're, Mule. Yeah. You're you're a sick fuck, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been known that I have engaged in sick, uh, disgusted, disgusting, mm-hmm. horrific things. Yeah. Would you do me the incredible honor of 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 presenting the final tier of our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash Red Underscore Planet? Thank you, Kira. I will do that. Well, if you're like me and you're simply sick, uh, <laughs> then you can get. All of the stuff from the lower tiers, plus a very special thank you message at the end of the stream for $100 a month, or £112, or so. it's, I think it's £100, I don't know, um, or how many New Zealand dollars? 172 Did you close the window? I can't do, no, it's coming up in dollars on my, I don't know why, I'm not registered to be in dollars on Patreon, it makes no sense, but like, it's changed, everything's changed, Uh, so I'm just doing like a quick conversion, it's £78.50, that's how much it is if you're in Britain and you're sick! Um, so yeah, that is that. And again, you get a special thank you message at the end of every stream. And it looks like this JBP, Nell on Starfire, Queen Pib, Cassie Tastrophe, and Risk Inverse. Thank you so much for being our sickos. You're amazing. We love you so much. Thank you for supporting the stream. Wow. So, Mule. Yes. Where can I find you? I we're friends, but I'm a really bad friend, and I never know how to find you online. How can I find you, Mule? Well, uh, I don't mind reminding you of this every week because I am your friend. I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. This is what friends are for. Friends are supposed to not mind when uh, they forget where your YouTube channel is and what it's called. 
yes, you can go. You, I've got a link tree. You can go to linktree.ee forward slash DJ M-U-E-L. Uh, I got a video that came out over Christmas. So I'm uh, not going to lie. If you've missed the video, uh, it's going to be very dated because I'm wearing a Santa hat. There's a Christmas tree. And um, to be honest, you could probably get past that because I'm talking about a lot of other stuff in the video. It's not Christmas focused, really. Uh, there is a bit at the end where I say this Christmas, we need to think about being nice to each other. Uh, but that's it, really. Uh, but yeah, please go check that out. It will really help. It's about bastard landlord influencers. Uh, in particular, a guy called Samuel Leeds. If you don't know who he is, he's the guy who uh, pretended to evict a tenant from one of his properties by chainsawing the door. Uh, open and of course there was no tenant in there he was just exaggerating as he does with most things in his life that you'll find out about if you watch the video uh so yeah that is what i'm doing at the moment that i would like you to support and check out please like comment subscribe share it all that kind of nonsense but tim what about you well uh so you can find me on YouTube and Twitch as Conquest of Dread, or over on Twitter and Blue Sky as Dread Conquest. Um, I haven't really had a lot of time to stream or anything outside of the Red Planet streams for a long time. I do want to get back into it a little bit this year. Um, but yeah, uh, aside from that, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, what about Kira? Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at my link tree. It's linktra.ee slash Kira Chats. But my live streams for the time being, for the foreseeable future, will be on YouTube. So youtube.com slash Kira Chats. Please watch my streams. Please click on my shit because if you do, uh, I will more quickly be able to get monetized on YouTube as like a partner or whatever they call it. So, uh, and also it makes me feel good. And also it, I am a streamer. So, you know, it gives me purpose. Won't you give me purpose? Please. Please, everyone. Please. Look at her. So, youtube.com slash Kira Chats. Also, I'm on Twitter under Kira Chats. I'm on Blue Sky at kirachats.bsky.social. Join my Discord. That's where kind of our, the hub of our community is. It's discord.gg slash Kira Chats. Um, yeah, I don't know the next time I'll be live. I, my mental health's in the shitter, so I've been kind of been like trying to treat my treat this very gingerly, like any any internet stuff that I do. Um, it could be tomorrow, though. We'll see. I'm thinking about it. So um, just just hang out. Just follow me on my socials, and um, you know, join me in my Discord, and then you'll never miss a stream. So that's it. That's the nice. show. We did it. Another yeah. Red Planet show down, and the first one of 2024. Wow, the sky's the limit. I'm excited to see what the rest of this year is going to bring us, team. <laughs> yeah, me too. We just do fing fingies. It's it's fingies. Thank you for watching. Love, solidarity, peace. Whoa. Free Palestine. Free Palestine. Look at this. Look at it. Whoa. <laughs> look at it. Look at it. Look at it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. Find more on the show, including where to watch live at redplanetshow.com. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV. And there's even more at our Patreon, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Conrad Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week.